This episode of Allie Meekly brought to you by... Do you ever feel like laughing? Maybe having a good time? A few jokes here and there? Obviously you do! (laughs) Since you're already listening to us! What if we told you there are others like us and you? Funny, informative, full of jokes. Sleeper cells. (laughs) Incels. Manchurian candidates waiting. Waiting in the shadows. There are. And it's Jonathan and Sergey from the Martini Lounge podcast. There it is. With interviews from actors, comedians, musicians, and other industry professionals, you'll get fun stories, inspiring tales, and of course, jokes that half land. Those are good odds. Yeah, anybody who listens to us is already, that's their taste. If you're listening to this, you've already half landed. (laughs) A new show's come out every Friday on jonathanandsergey.com. That's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-A-N-D-S-E-R-G-E-Y.com. That's not the alphabet that I remember. It's all jumbled up. (laughs) So they're there, and wherever you find podcasts, you can listen to them. It's a podcast you should listen to. We were just on an episode mm-hmm. of it that's going to be coming out May 3rd. And it was a lot of fun to record with him. Uh, yeah. We got along swimmingly. Yeah, we swam. We swam. We swam. What I'm trying to say is we swam. We went to the YMCA. So there's some jokes that half land. <laughs> <laughs> some jokes uh, are sink or swim and these ones are... <laughs> sink or sink. These ones, <laughs> in these waters, it's sink or sink. Our jokes are heavy and uh, unfortunately they're <laughs> landing in water. But yeah, we were on an episode we talk about making this podcast. Just very... There was a lightning round at the end about yeah. different questions of Los Angeles that made me so nervous but it was a lot of fun. I'm still coming up with good answers and it's been two weeks and I've been like, I should have said Clifton. I should have said Clifton. But yeah, listen to the, our, listen to all their episodes, yeah. but ours is coming out May 3rd. If that's what your introduction wants to be, mm-hmm. uh, listen to it. It's a good podcast. Yeah. Have fun. And now, funny guys, Greg, I'm wrapping it up. Oh, we were doing our, I should have got it in earlier, huh? And now the rest Wait, of our it, uh, show. Now our show, not the rest of it. I got the beginning go. of it. Ugh, I gotta okay. go. Ooh, I gotta go. Ooh, no, I gotta go. <laughs> I'm sick of LA. The smog, the traffic, the Tim Allen TV show tapings, the traffic to get to the Tim Allen TV show tapings. We're gonna hike this mountain and get away from it all and get back to nature. I couldn't agree more we really need to get away trees fresh air even fresher scat we need to reconnect with the wilderness and by doing so reignite our love for the city and i can't stress this enough this is a good thing for us this seems like a good spot to set up camp for the night right been hiking for 10 minutes yeah but i think we made good progress i don't even remember what the city looks like we're still within range of my car clicker look You think it's safe to go further? We're getting away from all those bad things we knew back in the city. The further we are from civilization, the closer we are to who we really are. And that's good mountain people. This seems good. What? This seems good. Why are there so many people here? We're in line for the Tim Allen TV show taping. This seems good. I can't see anything. Yeah, we're in the smog belt. This is where all the city's smog lives. Can't stay here. I can't even see what I shouldn't be breathing. Well, I've heard about a spot about 10 steps to the left that's supposed to be pretty good. I can't keep lugging this bag on and off every time you think we found a good spot. The weight of this thing is murdering my back like it's the head chef of a hotel checking in on the winter caretaker. What are you carrying? Just my axe typewriter in case I want to finish my book and my history of alcohol abuse. Why? (laughs) 
I don't want to speak too soon, but I think this is a-okay. It's freezing. Sweater weather. Ding. Oh, my nose fell off. I don't think we're going to be able to make it any further. If we don't turn back now, we're not going to have enough food to last us the way home. I can't hear you. I'm eating the last of the pastrami too loud. believe he finished the pastrami. Then he accused me of finishing the pastrami? I saw him. I swear to God, I saw him. He ate the pastrami. No! He is pastrami. And I'm gonna chop him up into a sandwich and et him. Oh, Greg. Uh-huh? Come here, Greggy Pumpkin. My little cupcake. Hmm, never called me that before. Are you feeling okay? Is it the altitude that's getting to you, or is it the hunger? It's a well-known fact. That pastrami goes straight to the butt. Oh, dear. I better do some squats. Get over here and give me a slice of that butt. What? I'm going to slice a piece of your butt with my axe and eat it. No, I'm not following. I don't understand. Ow! You chopped my cheeks. I'm not going to hurt you. You didn't let me finish. You did it again. Quit it. You're hurting me. <gasps> P-22 with the mountain lion. He's here to save us. He's got a barrel of bourbon around his neck. Oh no, he drank it. He's getting high on his own supply. He's drunk and he's a mean drunk. Oh, he's passed out. We can sneak up on him and eat him to survive. I'm not eating a cat. I want that butt. I feel much better now. Well, you've eaten my butt. I hope you're happy. And I was happier than I've ever been. Stop telling that story. Ow. Why not butt? Hi. Hi. Nice to see you here. Hi. Hi, everybody. We're the afternoon podcast. We like to record in the afternoon. Yeah, welcome to... It gets released later tonight after hours. That's what to I wanted to say. Welcome Drive <laughs> with um, Silky and Smooth. <laughs> <laughs> and we hope you like the dulcet sounds of our esophagi. We're going to say relaxing words all day, tranquil. <laughs> Cellar door. <laughs> <laughs> Sleepy time tea. Rock and roll! <laughs> no, I wasn't ready. Uh, Until 2 p.m. <laughs> not till I've had my afternoon tea and I talk about rock and roll. <laughs> all of it. Bo Diddley, Buddy Holly, all the greats of rock all and roll. The, all the, all the greats heavy metals. start with B. I only got that far in my rock and roll <laughs> alphabet. There's the Allman Brothers. There's Alice yeah. Cooper. All the way from Alien Ant Farm straight down to ZZ Top. Well, welcome to episode 65. We've made Wait, it. Is it. It is 60. It's 65, I checked. Okay. I asked our producer. He's like, yeah, 65. <laughs> we should have saved 65 to the for the freeway episode, speed limit 65. Yeah, we should have. Can't, we can't podcast 65. Well, based on the title of this podcast, we, clearly we don't have foresight. Are you doubting my gift of the second sight? <laughs> you know, I was born with a call on my face. Well, look. <laughs> well, listen, well, idiot. Sorry. Listen here. Hello, Meeklings. Everybody gather around. Hello, Meeklings. Welcome. What is it? May 1st. It's, yeah, it's, it's May today 1st. Is May 1st. Oh, also. Oh hey, my look. God. Hey, idiot. Shut up for a second. Let's start out by thanking uh, everyone who came to the stand up show. Yeah, yeah. We were on Townies last month and everyone, we had a lot of Meeklings come out. Thank you so yeah, much for everybody, coming out. Every single fan came every out. Single every fan. single fan we have filled my that mom. 30 person theater. Yeah. No, that was, that was really nice. Yeah, it was very to, nice. To have, you didn't, I mean, I mean, it was not an LA Meekly event. We were just there, mm -hmm. and a lot of people showed up, and that was really nice. Yeah, 
and we got to meet a lot of people. There's the one guy that I feel re- for like a week I felt yeah. really bad that we didn't get to talk to him more after the show. But uh, uh, we were bombarded by our oh beautiful God. fans. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> by our beautiful Emilio, <laughs> who we finally got to meet, which is that great. was really exciting. But yeah. more weird and exciting was that I got recognized by my voice twice while waiting Look in line that. for the bathroom. That was so weird. You're like um, trying to think of a radio star. You're like Orson Welles. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Casey Kasem to these people. These people. And while I was in the bathroom, because Alberto was waiting in line behind me, and the guy who had just recognized me was talking to Alberto, and I wanted to yell out from the bathroom, he wrote the theme song! <laughs> <laughs> credit where credit's due! But yeah, that, that was really nice. Yeah, it was very, and we had, a, we had a really good time. I went to House of Pies afterwards, and I was just yeah. so sleepy, because I'd been stressing about that show for a full week. It was the first time that it was over, and I was like eating mozzarella sticks with my eyes closed. <laughs> uh, a mozzarella stick pie. It's not House of Mozzarella Sticks, you dumb idiot. Hey, listen! Hey, listen! <laughs> I didn't want to laugh at mozzarella stick pie, but I did, and I hate myself for it. And that's what's not to laugh. What's not to laugh about it? <laughs> I laugh you. So <laughs> you are the laugh of my life. Let's get into what we did in April last month. Yeah. Uh, you want to hear my thing? I want to go first. No, you go first. My thing of the month. Yeah. Dog e den. Oh my god. What, what what are you saying? What are these words you're saying? Let me first give you the address. One five one two two Ventura Boulevard. It has to be a thing that is real. You can't make it up. Hmm. Oh boy. Um, yeah, I need a couple my minutes. My thing of the month is the 405 freeway. <laughs> it's a dog daycare slash dog hotel sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's on Ventura Boulevard and they have a big open window that faces the street and all the dogs play That's in it. Cute. And we just go and stand there and watch them. <laughs> it's very nice. It sounds it, very relaxing. It's a very, it, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. There's been some stressful stuff going on. It's mm-hmm. nice to go there and just watch the dogs. It's very nice. And they're not like, is it like a rescue? It's not, right? No, it's so people's dogs. It's people's dogs. These are privatized dogs. Private- <laughs> that makes me happy because I always worry when I go to like a like a pet shop and they let the, yeah. all the there's one in Burbank on Magnolia and they let, let the dogs and cats play out by the window. But who let the dogs out though? The woman who works there, Sheila. Um, the but answer we've been waiting for. I, I feel a certain level of guilt going and enjoying them and then leaving without one. I feel like it in my pit yeah. of my stomach. So it's nice to know that these dogs yeah. aren't for sale. They're just, well, <laughs> they're, they're just advertised as entertainment. How much for that doggy in the window? Not for sale. Not for sale. That's what they tell me every single time. It's really nice. There's a lot of cute dogs because they, they have the bigger dogs kind of behind a wall because those ones are, that's where the dog fighting happens. It's just <laughs> violence behind that wall. But in front, it's all cute and games and all the cute little small ones. But it's nice if you're in the Sherman Oaks area, pull into the Chase parking lot and just go walk over and watch the dogs, man. I love it. That was a yawn of excitement. I love that. I love that it exists. I want to go there right now. I need that in my life. I usually just watch stray dogs not get hit hit by cars. That's usually... It's pretty heartwarming i guess i uh what did you do i went on a really nice hike with our two friends chris crittenden senior arvino it's how who's both helped us with our live shows before we went to lake hollywood and we hiked around it i don't know if it's necessarily a hike i asked for a simple starter hike to get going again because <laughs> school has been kind of weighing me down but i had a monday free and we walked around there and it was really nice really beautiful day i don't know if anyone's ever been there before but it's kind of tucked it's off of barham off the 101 is that the the andy griffith opening one or no, is that but the I, one you drove me around once? that's the one i drove you around to late at night late at night so you didn't get to see you just saw like pure darkness you're like it's beautiful um idiot i've never seen such a beautiful lake in my life because i've never seen this one <laughs> i took my dad there thinking that that's where they filmed the oh, right. the yeah. credits to andy griffith and With i said happy father's poles. day yeah, yeah. 
and it was actually in Baldwin Hills. Pa, start whistling. <laughs> Please, Pa. Please, Pa. Tell uh, me everything's going to be okay, Abby. <laughs> it's very nice. And it's, it's, you're it, like right under the Hollywood sign. It's got right. a big bridge there. That's It was in Seven Psychopaths. It's got bear statuette heads on one side. Seven Psychopaths for Seven Brothers. That you, old that folk old tale. tale. Yeah, <laughs> that old musical. On a clear day, it's a nice walk. You can really enjoy. You're still close to the city, so you have to worry. You can still hear cars honking and stuff, so you, you don't have to freak out and be like, I'm too far from the city. Where's that pizza coffee? I did, I, <laughs> Where am I going to renew my driver's license? Like, <laughs> I got to get home. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to end that there. Uh, oh. We we have a listener question this month. We're going to do it in the middle. We're going to try something a little different. You want a high five for that? No, my hand is just pointing at you. Okay, okay one high five. Okay, go. Ow! Oof! That didn't even make a sound. We just pressed our palms together. Have you high fived before? Are you a virgin high fiver? Um, no, no, I did it. I did it with someone in Canada once. <laughs> Our Never hands froze. You've, uh, they call it a high toonie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to do the listener question in the okay. middle, try something different. But you talking about a park yeah. transitions us perfectly into what this month's episode is going to be about. You know what's neat is that you'd think that I didn't plan that. Isn't no, that I think I planned that. <laughs> You're going to talk about a park. Okay, make one up. I don't care. <laughs> we're either going to do a dog episode or a park episode, <laughs> depending on who goes out. first. How would you categorize this episode? Because it's not parks. It's not it's parks. It's kind of forest. I use the word wilderness a lot yeah it's, it's kind the of wilderness, wilderness episode men I, versus wild men, uh, men go wild um <laughs> men gone wild men gone wild yeah it's kind of wilderness areas i wanted to do sort of like a national parks episode because spring's yeah, coming yeah but, but yeah i was kind of thinking like oh parks like pershing square and stuff, yeah but that uh, it didn't fit so yeah. i'm i'm gonna do the beachside equivalent of what you're talking about and i'll be talking about angeles national forest today wow. Hero. Wow. Okay, I'll tell you the path, and no one cares, but I'll tell you. Of course, I'm really into uh, David Politis and his missing 411, which is people who go missing in national parks for no reason. Boom. I knew that's why you wanted to do that. Absolutely. <laughs> so I've been reading about national parks, and then my. But it's not a national park. It's not a national park, it's a national forest. Neither is mine. Great. Another high five or what? One more. Okay, go. <sighs> Yeah, that's good. That's good. When have you moved your arms? You like move your arms and stuff, right? I was told not to. Oh, okay. Well, it shows. I have one really big arm like Hellboy, <laughs> and one of them is just a string cheese, a melted string cheese. It drags. Like that pie you had, the mozzarella stick oh, pie. Oh, that's right. Oh, look at you doing callbacks yeah, and planting I plant, seeds. I planted the seed, much like the trees that grow in the national forests. Uh, mozzarella sticks grow in <laughs> I got my information for three places the National Park website or the National Forest website I don't remember which one yeah, and it's a two, cheaper domain <laughs> <laughs> it's dot, it's dot, uh, dot tree yeah dot tree and then two books Angeles National Forest which was published by the Big Santa Anita Historical Society and The Forest and the People the Story of Angeles National Forest by W.W. Robinson it's a little neat read from 1946 it's super cute let's it's get so cute. ready to wilderness <laughs> <laughs> All right, shut up for a second. Shut up for 40 minutes, shut up, yeah? <laughs> shut up at your face for 40 minutes while I talk. Fasten your seatbelt. We're touching mm-hmm. the edge of LA County, and in some cases, leaving the county. Oh, but no. this is a story I that transcends... I didn't take my passport. <laughs> this transcends territorial boundaries. We'll be talking about the wilderness. Angeles National Forest has been affectionately referred to as Los Angeles County's backyard, which is my title. I forgot to title it. Uh, the county's backyard. Because <laughs> it's where we leave all of our old cars. Exactly. That's where I can walk around without my shirt. I can pee there I can when pee the there. bathroom's full. <laughs> and sometimes I dug a hole to poo and then my dad got out of the bathroom. I didn't have to. <laughs> the forest takes up fully a fourth of the county. That's 690 acres. It, of course, crosses... 690? acres maybe miles um yeah, not miles definitely not, not acres. miles it's my not backyard, miles. my backyard is 690 acres it of course crosses counties and stretches from santa clarita to san bernardino officially it goes from san bernardino national forest on the east los padres national forest on the west the ranges of pasadena sierra madre and then reaches over behind los Angeles to mojave around pyramid lake near the ridge Roo. eastward uh <laughs> what the ridge Roo is what yeah. it says here eastward across the san gabriels to mount baldy so it's the san gabriels all the way leading right. mount baldy is the end of it mount baldy as it's known by its christian name mount 
Mount San Antonio is the highest peak in Angeles National Forest. Mount, don't talk about it. Mount, please don't bring it up. Mount Comover. Why is it called that? <laughs> Mount, it's very sensitive about it. Get it all out of your system. Mount Greg, they Mount, call it. Ooh. ooh, Mount wearing a hat for a reason. Ooh, <laughs> shut up. Mount hoping the snow cap comes <laughs> early. <laughs> uh, I quit. I quit right now. I quit. I quit. I quit. I quit. I quit. Mount Baldy. You mean Mount? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, sits 10,064 feet above an area that is clearly not that high. Wow, 10,064 feet? Mm-hmm. Well, your acreage was wrong, so is that Maybe. right? It's actually no, 10 but feet. But it does snow up there. It, yeah, it's 10. Of course it, yeah. It's uh, an anthill. I'm making a mountain out of an anthill, quite literally. It seems that what is considered Angeles National Forest is broken into two, divided by Santa Clarita and, the, and mm-hmm. Highway 14. One side seems to end at Placerita Canyon and then pick back up at Bouquet Canyon and Castaic, going almost to Gorman. That's like another half of it, but I'm mostly going to concentrate on the side that we're on, this side of the Highway 14. So let's talk about Angeles National Forest. The natural landscape offers so much to our area. It's used for mineral and timber resources. It's used for grazing. I'm going to read something straight from the National Park website. In drought-prone California, the quantity, quality, and timely provision of our water is dependent on the health of our national forests. The forests supply, filter, and regulate water from the upper watersheds and meadows. About 384,000 acre feet of water per year. That's 125 billion gallons come from Angeles National Forest based on a 2016 study. That equates to 180,000 Olympic-sized swimming pools and enough drinking water for California's population for more than 10 years or enough water for over 940,000 households for a year, according to an information packet from the Forest Service. But we're going to use it for the Olympic swimming pools instead. Yeah, we're, we're probably going to use it to spray wet t-shirt contests. <laughs> That's where all the water's going. We're gonna, we could have water for 10 years or make the world's biggest slip and slide. <laughs> it's a pop-up. The Angeles National Forest stores about 6.3 3 million metric tons of forced carbon. The economy of California is the fifth largest in the world, and California's national forests contribute to almost 2 billion annually in wages and income to small businesses, hmm. about 8 million annually in labor income for wage earners and local businesses, which includes food and lodging services, arts and entertainment, and recreation, real estate, rental and leasing, and retail trade services. That's 1,600 jobs annually. That's all provided by the forests. The largest source of jobs supported by the Angeles National Forest are forest service led jobs, which provide important contributions to the local economies and enhance social connections and community cohesion. About 3.6 million people visit the Angeles National Forest to recreate annually, which represents an economic value of over $292 million to the state. Well, where does that money come from? Just like admission fees? Or? I think it's the, the park passes and stuff like mm. that from what park I Park hoppers? Park hopper passes <laughs> and also just supporting any local businesses right. that have to pay taxes and stuff like that. I've never been there, by the way. I've dipped a toe, but I <laughs> like after doing all this research, I'm like, they have that many legs. The Angeles National Forest landscape includes diverse recreation opportunities such as water recreation, which includes fishing, swimming, rafting, as well as camping, picnicking, and green open space for activities that Mm -hmm. support human wellness and cultural traditions. Like recreating the Andy Griffith intro. Exactly. Getting to pretend to be Jason Voorhees for like an hour. (laughs) Where are the cabins? Where are the girls? That's where the real moneymaker is. There's 126 lakes and ponds. Oh my God. 508 miles of rivers and streams. 541 miles of trails. There's six miles of wild and scenic rivers. 49 developed campgrounds. 39 developed picnic areas. Over 1.6 million people visit the Angeles National Forest annually to hike and walk as their main activity. Um, And one buried treasure. (laughs) There are 12 threatened and endangered species that include the Santa Ana sucker. (laughs) For obvious reasons. He's been conned out of existence. (laughs) You lent that much money to who? The California unarmored three-spined stickleback. Another one. I'm not... They should go. (laughs) 
it shouldn't be here. Say it to them. Say it to their face. How about that? And the very endangered California about to die. <laughs> the tickle death. Um, the California red-legged frog. No reasons there. Mountain they're yellow red because they're on fire. <laughs> the mountain yellow-legged frog. Because he's scared. The desert tortoise. And a plant called a Nevin's barberry. They're endangered species of that region. There are many peaks and lakes and canyons. Mount Baldy, Mount Wilson, Mount Islip, Mount Low. There's Pyramid Lake, Elizabeth Lake, Crystal Lake, Lake Castaic. <laughs> Crystal Lake. Oh, oh, I know. Oh, don't worry. There's jokes in here. Plant life is distributed accordingly because one side of the National Forest is coastal and one side is desert. So the desert side has Joshua trees and sycamore cotton and black oak and desert scrub and pinyon. The coastal side has Douglas fir and yellow pine and chaparral. Douglas fir banks. Douglas fir banks. Uh, Maple trees, Humboldt lilies. You got bobcats, black bears, wood peckers why did i separate that wood because you're obsessed peckers. with peckers woodpeckers coyotes red tail hawks horned owls horny owls pick me owls newts rattlesnakes mountain lions deers I raccoons pecker now i tried going to the beginning of mountains but i was reading a lot about faults and crusts and it was only interesting because i was forcing like i was trying to pretend to be you and i just couldn't do it so it's not interesting at all you can hey We'll skip ahead to the humans. Let's talk about humans. According to the National Park website, radiocarbon dates of 76, 75, and 7,600 years before present BP, they found evidence of humans. Like mm -hmm. they, they found like a cooking feature in one of the northern drainages of the San Gabriel Mountains. Early material culture indicates an extensive use of grinding implements. Stop. <laughs> to process small seeds. <laughs> Wouldn't <look They're> grinding. <laughs> grinding implements. Process small seeds. I got some small <laughs> seeds for <laughs> Supplemented by hunting activities. Numerous cog stones are also found within sites of this period, indicating ceremonial activities. From what we know about the people who lived there in those mountains in the 18th century, which were the Keech, the Serrano, the Paiute, and other tribes in the area, they used the mountains and forests for everything. Obviously, right. you know, that was everything to them. They depended on the mountains for food, for water, for materials, for their weapons. They learned what leaves and berries were used for what medical ailments they tended it's said to live in the lowlands and brush huts but some ventured into the mountaintops they said in the summertime but they made these annual trips in the summer horrible. when is it the hottest yeah. yeah let's walk uphill yeah that sounds good they would make these trips up into the mountain ranches to hunt animals like deer and mm -hmm. rabbit they went to the forest to collect acorns which were essential like we said before to everything everything and was I've acorns before i've had acorn mash it, it is good it, it and it was it good. tracks yeah, yeah. <laughs> they also gathered pine nuts they used chaparral for uh for a bunch of things they used manzanita Need a berries to chaparral or chaparral? Is it chaparral? Chaparral. So. Oh, that's right. Chaparral. That's what I kept Sh saying. Chaparral. They used chaparrons for a bunch of things. They used uh, manzanilla for berries. Prom for <laughs> the <laughs> president's daughter. Uh, they used manzanilla <laughs> berries to extract cider. And the leaves were smoked to look cool. Uh, it's also said that manzanilla leaves could help with bronchitis. Yucca fibers were used to make nets. Even back then, there were people were coming to the Los Angeles area <laughs> to fight bronchitis. Even back then, yucca fibers were used to make nets and ropes. The mountains and the forest provided the original people of Los Angeles with a, a abundance of necessities yucca trees were important the tonion plants were important they existed like this for centuries and then the spanish <laughs> came and we stopped seeing as <laughs> much <laughs> <laughs> we stopped seeing as much native angelinos in the mountains they were relocated to catholic prison work camps or as one reading phrased it incorporated into the mission community <laughs> my i have another because i'm going to be talking about in my area the same thing and they had another cute phrase oh, for it nice. <laughs> high five for cute phrases for me, things this again. Yeah, do it. Just do it. Oh, marinara. Wow, marinara. that one got hard. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was marinara. <laughs> 1769. Gaspar de Portola. You're going to start doing Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> How does an orphan? <laughs> yeah, whatever. You haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. It's <laughs> no, I've saw, I saw it. I spent uh, no, a lot I, of money and no. I saw it. <laughs> Hamilton. I get it. Uh, yeah, clearly I get it. Portola and Pedro Fahis lead an expedition Hollywood style, traveling north from San Diego and ending up in San Fernando Valley. They were met with the friendly and eager to help Native Americans somewhere in U Haul, where the tribe fed them and offered them 
shelter. Not new information, but this is all happening right. with the yeah, region yeah. that's been become. You yeah. know, We're slowly uh, seeing exact instances of contact throughout the city. Exactly. Yeah. Fahey's, uh took pretty good notes on everything and talks Who? about. Oh, Fahey. Fahey. I think we've talked about Fahey before. Yeah, Fahey. Pedro Fahey. Yeah, he was yeah. the second in command to Portola. He took notes on like everything. <laughs> He's one of those people. He's like a Daniel. See, yeah. Oh, oh no! Oh, oh, is that why? And you, I wrote that down. Real quick. I, I better take note. Is that what people think of me? Note taken. He did pretty good notes on everything, like you, and talks about the high barren hills, which were difficult for beasts of burden, meaning mules and horses. But with the help of their new friends, they were led into a small valley with a pleasant, sightly field full of trees and water. This was many trips Fahis would take around the mountain ranges over the years. In 1772, he came. Uh, 1772. I <laughs> <laughs> Learning can be fun, not on this podcast, but usually. <laughs> That's what this is missing. <laughs> Informative rap that white people can say. Boom. Bah, boom, 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 bah. My name boom. is Alexander bah, Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to rhyme. Line, Show actually. clothes. Show clothes. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't assassinated before, but he was now. Aaron Burr strikes again. <laughs> Hamilton canceled. Suddenly Aaron Burr's the hero? <laughs> the guy reviewing his name is Aaron Burr. <laughs> 1772, he came, Fahey came up from the San Bernardino Valley and crossed the mountains into the area of where the Cajon passes. So he was like making several trips into this ranges. He wandered into the Mojave Desert and Anno Valley. But other than exploring and understanding their surroundings, both the Spanish and the Californios to come, they didn't truly utilize the forest the way the Keech and other tribes had. They didn't really care. They used the water for streaming from the mountains, of course. Sometimes they used timber. <laughs> Netflix. I want you to know that I don't want to laugh at these things, <laughs> but like something in me, let I me guess take, that let me take note then. <laughs> I recognize a familiarity and I laugh. Uh, Do it again. Do it again. Uh, Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes they use the timber for lower canyon areas, but not really. Something that they did exploit, though, was grizzly bears. Oh, no. <laughs> there used to be roaming grizzly bears in the Kazangaroos, and I get that they are really dangerous, and they're the ones that kill people for fun. I get that. Still. <laughs> they're known for. That's what they're known for. But still, this story is really bummed me out. There used to be roaming grizzly bears in the San Gabriels, mostly spotted to the lower part of Milliard Canyon or the Arroyo Seco and the area now covered by the waters at the back of Devil's Gate Dam. It was here that they were found, if not stalked, lassoed and captured when they were found and dragged to La Pueblo in the center of town near Bear Street and the bears were thrown into something called a bear bull contest. Self-explanatory. But for those who don't want it to be true and are like, maybe it means this. Maybe it's a stock no, market thing. Maybe it's some kind of race. Nope. <laughs> they would throw a bear in a ring with a bull. And the bear would go through a few bulls before the tables would turn. <laughs> this was something that happened all over California because the people of the old world were unforgivably awful. Uh, Where did they get the bull? Uh, I guess bulls Where are. Where did they get <laughs> the bull? <laughs> I have one question. <laughs> I was thinking bulls are native. Bulls are like the most common thing. That's not the... That's not the I was thinking like, well, those are only in Spain for the Toreadors. <laughs> a bullet claimed the last known grizzly bear in San Gabriel Mountains on May 16th, 1894. Uh, ironic that the bull got them at the end. Mm-hmm. It's true. What? <laughs> bull. Bullet. Bull. Is that what we were talking about? A yeah, bullet a fight? bullet. Don't bring a bear to a bullet fight? A female bull is a, a bullet. Bull. <laughs> I shot a bullet at her. Get her, get her, go, run, 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 run. <laughs> We've been feeding you gunpowder all day. Anyways, the man who, the sorry, the asshole who shot the last grizzly bear's name was Walter R. Richardson. Black bears did not exist naturally in San Gabriel Mountains, but in 1933, 11 black bears from the Yosemite Valley, they were up to no good. They were troublemakers, and they were moved to Southern California and released near Crystal Lake, which is above Azusa, <laughs> which is where Jason Voorhees drowned. All black bears in the San Gabriels are believed to be descended whoa, from whoa, this whoa. group. Not whoa, all, not black all of them. Come on, hey, 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 now. All black bears in the San Gabriels are believed to be descended from from this 
group of 11 black uh, bears like the buffalo from catalina yeah these yeah, black bears are yeah. like you guys are trouble they Don't- should make them fight oh my god <laughs> inbred buffalo versus inbred black bear <laughs> i heard that they're trying to reintroduce grizzly bears i think to california like the grizzly bears that are in alaska or something okay. they're thinking of reintroducing them i can't remember if they're reintroducing them to yosemite or just to colorado i'm not sure but but the grizzlies are coming back i'm sorry that all the grizzly bears are gone but i don't want but as here. soon as they're here i'm like yeah. well, who's gonna yeah. kill these you don't have to go home but you can't stay here (laughs) can't we just put them on an island i don't know (laughs) let's just bring them all to catalina (laughs) catalina's uninhabitable now (laughs) black bears are relatively now take that catalina (laughs) you're going down catalina (laughs) here's a side story not to do with angela sports but i learned it this week i forgot to tell you off like one of my friends in my sign painting class she grew up in uh palos verdes and she's like oh yeah i used to party with people from catalina because we're pretty close hang out with this guy his grandfather was william wrigley no you did tell me this. i did tell you yeah that. you okay. told me i did tell you it's that. weird it is weird and i think i asked did he smell nice you it was his breath it, fresh when, yeah i'll get a confirmation it was on his that. breath fresh when you obviously made out with him <laughs> since he was the grandson of william wrigley who, who can resist double the pleasure double the, re- the not resistance that didn't work that out in my favor. Good. Black bears are relatively shy and are almost never known mm. to harm humans. Watch out for Walter Richardson, though. Those are the ones you got to look out That's for. <laughs> the quiet bears. He, but before we pass the early era of Los Angeles, it should be noted that the first American in Los Angeles appears in town in 1821, the same year Mexico conquers California. His name was Joseph Chapman. Here's Joseph Chapman's story. Have we talked about him before? Have we? I don't know. Maybe in passing. I would have remembered some of this, but maybe I forgot. We've done 65 yeah. episodes. I'm allowed to forget <laughs> a couple things. That's uh, not the contract but okay chapman was the second officer on the santa rosa which was one of the hippolyte bouchard's raiding ships bouchard was a french argentine revolutionary <laughs> Bouchard was a French Argentine revolutionary who led attacks on the California coast, primarily the missions, with his band of Argentinian pirates. In- oh my, what? <laughs> pirates? Yeah, from Argentine, Argentina. Argentina. Let me, let me ask my family who lives in, my very passionate family who lives in Argentina, <laughs> which is true, by the way. And Greg finds it hilarious that I have easygoing, passionate Argentinian relatives who make me seem like the most uptight white boy. <laughs> Everything that I am, they make it all come out of me. You, you, you can't dance? <laughs> You can't tango in public. <laughs> Why not? Why not? The passion. I will literally send Daniel text that just the passion out of nowhere for it no always reason. always makes me feel just bad about <laughs> who I am. Why can't I be more like my South American family? I want to be loose and, and passionate. <laughs> and passionate. So wait a minute. So he was bringing pirates from Argentina to attack the missions in Los yeah, Angeles. Because he, he was which just... Is something I've been waiting to ask you for 65 He was episodes. just striking Spanish stuff, like the Spanish Empire, right. like anything they had on land, any ship he was just attacking wow. all the Spanish stuff which makes him kind of cool but how is he an American I don't understand not him oh. second in command oh okay okay so he was second in command, command to, the, to, this to the Argentinian guy. yeah pirate. exactly in 1870 we'll the get there the, the, the <laughs> if you're gonna raid you do the passion we do not raid them. we <laughs> ravish them <laughs> we take the town and we make passion to it we Village with passion. November 1818, Bouchard. There's another guy named Sir Peter Corney, who was captain. <laughs> now that's my relative. <laughs> Dance for us, Corney. I don't know how. Do I move my arms like this? No, please don't. He was the captain of the ship this time. His second in the command. Captain Corney. Captain Corney. He almost sounds like a, a serial pirate. You mean a serial box pirate? A serial box yeah. pirate. There's Captain Corney. He's commanding the ship for Bouchard. <laughs> and, and his, his section sec- nemesis, Captain Corney. <laughs> captain Corney. 
He's captain ship for Bouchard. So Bouchard is not there. This is a weird story. <laughs> but second in command to Captain Corny is Pirate Joe, Joe Chapman, and the rest of the pillaging pirates. I'm trying to separate Commander but- Cheesy. Commander Cheesy. Admiral Cheesy, sorry. And he just says puns. He says most of the things that you say. Um, you can write that down in your journal. <laughs> I take note. I take note of this. <laughs> the pirates are attacking the <laughs> passion question mark. They're attacking the Presidio at Monterey, and then they go on to attack the mission at Santa Barbara a month later. I don't know which raid. So it doesn't sound like they're exactly attacking Los Angeles, just because no. there's nothing really along the coast. There's nothing. Not at 1818, there's really not a lot to attack. I mean, you're a couple years away from Mexico taking over the missions and then breaking them up anyway. So, And they're attacking coastal towns like Monterey and Santa Barbara and then they go on to San Capistrano. So how are they going to get here? They're too inland. going to take the 101? Oh, they attack Mission Santa Monica, Mission (laughs) Venice. The Presidio of Marina del Rey. (laughs) Raid. Now, I don't know which raid this happened in, but I do know that... Raid! Raid! I don't know what raid this happened in, but I do know that Mission Santa Barbara, the Padres and 150 trained Native Americans scared away the Santa Rosa, the boat that he was on. So during one of these raids, Pirate Joe was captured by Don Antonio Lugo. It must have been at Mount Array. Yeah, Lugo, I remember. We've definitely talked about okay. Lugo. He took the blonde captive, who was Joseph Chapman, Pirate Joe, under his wing and brought him to Los Angeles on the promise that Chapman would supervise the Keech in the building of the church at La Plaza, possibly the same church that William Monet did repairs on like a century later. But Joseph Chapman, this old Yankee sailor, he was a gifted woodworker. He had practiced logging and carpentry in Maine. He knew how to make a tree fall in a direction he wanted, and people thought this was great because nobody had seen anything like that before. He made good on his promise by using timbers hefted in the mountains of Arroyo Seco and carried to the plaza by the Keech and a bunch of oxen. Him and a bunch of Native American workers, they were working for a camp in Millard Falls when they were logging and, and sometimes they would get attacked by other tribes. But this lumberjack Joe, he was once a pirate, so he would fight back and defend the camp. Oh, and soon after this happened enough times, people regarded Pirate Joe, Pirate Joe Chapman, as a hero. <laughs> and when he returned from these logging jobs... Hero Joe. Hero Joe. <laughs> and he returned from these logging jobs, people began to depend on his craftsmanship and he, from all this, became a model citizen. He went straight, like that scene in Butch Cassidy and the Sun Kids, where they try to go straight. I, I now I'm thinking of uh, the pirates of because you're talking about pirates going straight and the pirates of Penzance and. I don't know what that is. Uh, it's a music. It's kind of like Hamilton. Oh, it's the, I am the very model of a modern major general. <laughs> Hamilton, 1974. Or, yeah, 1974. 1974. <laughs> we all know American history, right? The Godfather. <laughs> Aaron Burr, he shot my boy. Hamilton. You can't touch Aaron Burr. He's a made man. I might be mixing movies. Nobody goes against the Constitution. (laughs) Anyways. And you come to this on the day of my Declaration of Independence. (laughs) Pirate Joe Chapman, Hero Joe, he was baptized and in 1822 married Senorita Guadalupe Ortega, whose family's ranch was near Santa Barbara, is said to have been burned down by his former pirate pals on their raids. Chappie, as I'm going to call him for the rest of this, also had valuable basic medical skills and successfully treated Governor Emanuel Victoria, who I had to look up because I forgot, one of the bad governors. Victoria was wounded in 1831 while fighting Californios at the Cahanga Pass, which I believe we discussed in Los Angeles year one episode. Mm. Anyways, Joseph Chapman yeah. built a grist mill for yeah, the- what's it? Where, where, where's this going with the forest? That's where he did all this timbering. That's how he became a hero. They took him into the wilderness and he did all of the timbering for the almost the whole city at the time. You send a pirate into the forest, he comes back a hero <laughs> is what I'm trying to get at. All right? If a pirate falls in the forest, <laughs> does he yell R? No, he becomes a hero. He was like the- First American to settle. Here. Right, but he was like the woodsman, the if wood, you will. He was like a lumberjack and all for the that, city. And all that, was coming, all that wood was coming from the- Miller Falls, which is in Angeles okay. National Forest. Interesting. Yeah. So all the early buildings were built out of the Angeles National mm-hmm. Forest. Pretty yeah, much. pretty much, because all that's where all the timber's coming yeah. from. Anyways, he tried to get into wine and he failed. Um, <laughs> he moved to Santa Barbara in 1839. To some of the 19th century and the Angeles National Forest on the LA side, the Spanish and the Californians didn't really use the mountains other than lumber sometimes, eradicating all the grizzly bears they could find and using the water to wash blood off of their whips from unnecessarily punishing the Native Americans they held captive. Oh, the chaparral. Say it again. Chaparral. Chaparral? I think it's chaparral. The chaparral that the key 
each and other tribes had several uses for the spanish didn't really think much of they didn't like it it wasn't good for pasture for yeah it's nothing it's like it's like Uh, placeholders but but it's nothing for us but it was everything to them is what i'm trying to get at it's like when the spanish came they're like this is ugly (laughs) i don't want this i can't raise cattle here the mexicans conquered the spanish for kill bears here Uh, it's not a good setting to kill bears i like it to be more dramatic big trees you know big trees the mexicans conquered the spanish for california and among other things they also didn't venture into the mountains the mission land was being subdivided when they took over they turned it into ranches and many of those ranches lied at the foot of the san gabriels but they didn't really venture into that they did like couple things. The Americans came in the 1850s as this was all theirs now. And at that point, the San Gabriel Mountains started to get more attention. But from who? Bandits, hunters, squatters, gold prospectors, Ooh. homesteaders. My kind they, of people. They're squatting up in them hills. Homesteaders and mountain <laughs> squatters. Homesteading up in them. <laughs> homesteaders and mountain squatters also made their way into Los Angeles wilderness. Many of the canyons and roads and peaks are named after these American settlers. Miller's Canyon was named after a squatter. Rubio Canyon was named after Jesus Rubio Maron, who took up a squatter's claim in a canyon near Altadena. Mount Islip is named after a settler on the west side of the San Gabriels. George Islip is his name. <laughs> Commodore Perry Switzer was a carpenter who ventured into the mountains and built a rough pack trail north of Pasadena. We now refer to that as Switzer's Trail, leading to Switzer's Falls. William Steertivant, he brought a pack train of burros to Southern California from Colorado, entering in the mountains on the northeasterly side by Aliso Canyon. Now, Sturvent Trail and Campgrounds is a major area near Mount Wilson. This is a part of the city I have no right? familiarity with at it's, all. It's, like, oh, yeah. Switzer Trail. I can't believe it. I, I would type in like Switzer Falls yeah. and it would show me like a little green area and say Switzer Falls and I would yeah. have to back up and be like, oh, that's above Azusa. Oh, that's yeah. above yeah. Altadena. Oh, that's like I... D- the Google Maps car should really drive up into those things. <laughs> you carry on your back. Google back. Oh, you don't like information? Yeah. I thought you wanted information forever and you don't want to put that on your back? Put over, the car on your back. <laughs> over on the Santa Clarita side of the mountains in Placerita Canyon near the far western edge, three miles from present day Newhall, a rancher falls asleep next to a tree. Oh God, here we go with this tree that again. Year, like, 1942, and that man is Francisco Lopez. I can't hear about this He's tree sleeping. with the, the gold dust onion behind it you or whatever. You are giving, you're a spoiler alert, okay? This is the week where we don't do spoilers. Endgame <laughs> is on, upon us. He found the Avengers buried under the tree. He found all the Infinity Stones under this tree, and he put the gauntlet on, and he's got to dr- drop it into Mordor now. What? We both know that would work. Unless Sauron gets the Infinity Stones. Imagine, oh, and oh then my he God, puts the ring on oh, the no, gauntlet. Stop it, so he's invisible. Cool! <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to stop him? Nobody. Worm tongue. Worm tongue. The hero nobody expected. Worm tongue. His movie came out a month ago, and now he's the hero. Worm tongue. The first one's always bad, but by the third one, they get really good. Worm tongue's trilogy. I knew him when he was grub tongue. Larva tongue. I'm trying not to laugh. I think. Take a note of that. <laughs> Deliver puns with more passion. He's sleeping. And while he's sleeping, he's dreaming of floating along a river of gold okay there's gold up in them subconscious no big deal right <laughs> not id <laughs> no big deal i dream of copper all the time but lopez wakes up and he's hungry so he starts digging around looking for wild onions what does he find whenever i wake up from a nap i, uh, I crave an onion i need a dirty dug up raw I onion want, i want to bite into a raw onion from the ground by the way this is probably why people hate the show but off topic completely did you know that at in and out you can get raw and grilled onions on the same hamburger really i didn't know that what's it called onions saffron style yeah it's called give me my hamburger the way i want here's uh, my money do what i'm telling you to do the guy offered it to me because he saw me struggling when he asked about onions wow he's not supposed to do that yeah he broke he's, protocol he, he went against the vow and then the other people pulled him back and put him in the potato <laughs> into the french fry slammer never seen again okay go on um did you know that at internet oh you said that already okay i might, i got your paper sorry he was dreaming of internet he looked up and there were two cross palm trees <laughs> he's looking around for wild onions right he had this dream he's 
hungry. He wants to pick wild onions. Wild, oh, he does find wild onion, but it doesn't matter as much as the gold flakes clinging to the root of this tree in wild onion. This was the first documented discovery of gold in California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's gold up in them stories. Um, <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, listen. All right, new, this isn't for you. This is for the listener, okay? I feel like we talk about this every episode. One episode before, and you interrupted me at every because you heard me say placenta, and we just went from there. <laughs> but I feel like we've talked about this before. I don't know. Who cares? I care. But <laughs> I could. I'll, let me tell you who cares. Every single listener, all of the people who support all the minor Patreon, 49ers, all my friends who are minor 49ers. <laughs> well, I don't know. I'll do much about their stories. What's it like the radio show? No, it's a podcast. Dad. My iPod's broken. <laughs> so Lopez brought his gold to Los Angeles to be appraised, and when he did, other prospectors began to get hungry for onions, and they <laughs> sensed the possibility of riches in the western soil. And the gosh darn California gold rush began in Santa Clarita, a full six years before it was discovered at Sutter's Mill. Right. San Fernando Placers, as the discovery was called, <laughs> was worked on and off for about a decade before moving on to other prospects. The tree still stands and is a national monument now. It's called the Oak of the Golden Dream, which you could visit today if you want to. It's not far from the city. I went there. It's pretty nice. Mm-hmm. This is the first documented discovery of gold. But stories about gold go back to the 1790s in this area. There are stories. Hamilton's time. There are stories that Padres and some Keech slaves from the San Fernando Mission worked a mine called Los Padres, which is supposed to be near a big bend section of the San Andreas Fault. But many think this is a fable. A lot of people like, I think we found it like over the years, but I didn't look into it that much because uh, Kern County, that's prison town. I don't do Kern County. The largest gold strike in the San Gabriels occurred in 1854 on the East Fork of the San Gabriel River near Mount Baden-Powell. I'm such a city hick that I, I'm doing research. And I'm continually <laughs> surprised by the amount of canyons and mountaintops. And also I read the word gulch. I'm like, there's a gulch in LA County. I, I want to go there. <laughs> there's one not on Gower? Oh, that's... Oh, Gower Gold! Gower. <laughs> Anyways, gold was found there, and a lot of it, this was the richest concentration of gold in the region, was at East Fork area. People were finding nuggets of gold, not just flakes and onion roots, and that lasted for a long time. They were still finding gold up to the 1930s, and that's all good for prospectors and squatters and homesteaders, but I think you said something about bandits? 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 Can you tell me more about this bandits? The San Gabriels were a perfect place to hide out and get refuge after a job, so bad men like Jack Powers, Salmon Pico, Juan Flores could be found there, found, quotation marks. These bandits would drive stolen stop saying bandits 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 Bandits. These abandons would drive stolen cattle and horses into the canyons and pasture them in the flats. Pasture? Pasture. I feel like we've discussed some criminals before who we've said like, mm-hmm. and then they ran off into the San Gabriels. Like, yeah. I think maybe Machine Gun Kelly or like there are a Probably, few people I yeah. think that it's a, it's, it's a, a good place to it's disappear. Good, whenever I talk about the Black Dahlia, I talk about they placed her in a certain place because in LA, you can be at the ocean or the mountains either way in theoretically 10 minutes. <laughs> when they talk about the mountains, we're talking about San Bernardino. We're right. talking about... Yeah. Yeah, San Gabriel's and stuff like that. Yeah, that's the mountains that you could go and commit a crime in. Mount, Mount crime. crime. Mount Crime. There was a network of old Native American trails that could be used as a getaway if mm. any lawmen chased them in there and they had to flee. Our old handsome Robin Hood pal, Tabercio Vasquez, and his pal. I think he's who I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. maybe. His pal, Jose Gonzalez, would pasture the stock stolen in. Uh, in uh, the Chalayo Flats, which is above La Cañada. Gonzalez had a cabin in that area and said that one time he got into a brawl with a bear and he <laughs> only had a knife and what? he killed the bear. Well, that's like, uh, what's that movie? The Revenant. It's like The Revenant, yeah. except, yeah. I want to call it The Deliverance. The Deliverance. <laughs> Something else was killed up there. Man's spirit. A man's spirit to move on. One man's spirit. One, one, one man in particular one spirit. One piggish man's spirit. That's 
God. Imagine getting Having into a, a knife fight with, with a bear. bear. This was such a cool thing that it earned him the name Chilea. It means hot stuff in Spanish. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And hence, Chileo Flats became the name of the area. But there's also another story that was named after a man who lived there for 40 years <laughs> named Chileo Silvius. How many bears did he kill? <laughs> the mountains in the forest there in the mining days are full of what are called colorful characters with great nicknames. That I did not have the time to look these people up because they had such small, minute stories and I already have yeah. nine pages. So I'm just going to name them. Here we go. One-eyed Mountain Charlie. <laughs> Twitch Lip Callie, <laughs> Peg Leg Bill Conyus, Old Man Armstrong, Uncle Jimmy Grayson, Soldier Thompson, and Two Gun Don Rosencrantz. <laughs> That's like three different worlds of people <laughs> that combine. His Majesty Bloody Knife Manischewitz. <laughs> One of the baddest bad men of the San Gabriels was John Knox Portwood, who was a fugitive southerner from Virginia who moved to the East Fork. Whose in 18- name is also a sentence. Thank you. He moved to the area in 1895. By the way, this is what they're in the gold rush and everyone's mining for everything so there's just a bunch of people up there Knox's canyon neighbors had always thought he was a bit shady and it didn't help that he was a wanted known killer he was boasting about people he killed and he had six notches carved on his gun in 1917 he shot and killed a man named Herman Miller after an argument in Iron Fork Knox was arrested and went to trial and during trial he claimed that Miller was a German spy that spy Miller it was during World War One. Oh. you know history right you've like watched Hamilton huh? when Hamilton defeated the <laughs> Kaiser, Kaiser. Wilhelm <laughs> so he was arrested he went to trial he was claiming that Miller was a German spy that Miller's home in the canyon was a German communication line with Mexico. He said that he killed Miller in self-defense. Yeah, that's weird. Germany was trying to get Mexico to turn against the United States. Yeah, and Mexico was like, Never, mm. never, never, never. <laughs> Not we in a hundred years. They would never do anything against us. America, our greatest ally. Our greatest ally, where they're going to build a wall between us? Knox Portwood said he killed Miller in self-defense. The jury bought his story and acquitted him. Knox then sent threatening letters to another Canyon resident named Blanche Cole because he didn't like her friendliness toward park rangers and government officials. Cole, who lived near Graveyard Canyon... <laughs> asked for the protection of two rangers as expected be, graveyard gulch would be better i kept reading this story and i had a like cemetery canyon cemetery canyon i kept reading this and being like this is california right yeah i know this is south Angeles <laughs> county right like this sounds like not blanche cole was worried so she had two park rangers posted on duty to protect her because this guy already writing letters known killer as expected knox soon rode up on horseback drunk and encountered the two rangers and he was ordered to step down but chose instead to draw his weapon and he was shot dead bullet hole in the head that entire story sounds like a Johnny Cash song. <laughs> What's crazy to me that there are so many stories coming from the San Gabriels and I almost fell into a hole and tried to read everything. It was once a booming mining town at the East Fork called Eldoradoville. There was another one called Prospect Bar and they were all hustle and bustle and then just bust became the, because they became <laughs> ghost towns. I don't know how much of these areas are left but there are remnants. There are mines and gulches and gold and badmen all in our backyard and I think that's so cool. Hmm. Let's get to the good stuff now. That's stuff that we actually showed up for. There were just outlaws and squatters out there but actual decent ranchers and cattlemen who were straight up exploiting its natural landscape of the, of the decent people decent people just messing up they thought that everything was expendable and who cares ranchers were taking their sheep out to the fields and they were eating all the grass turning meadows into dirt some ranchers were deliberately setting fires because they were seeking more open grassland for the flocks these fires went unchecked for days <laughs> people were polluting the rivers and streams trees were being cut down indiscriminately to supply the boom in los angeles that they're going through in the 1880s a big help with getting the forest declared a national forest came from a familiar person in la history our old pal Abbott Kinney. Meeklings who remember from our Venice Beach episode, Abbott Kinney was a visionary behind the Venice Canals along with the boardwalk and an early pier. Yeah, I remember. You look like you wanted to say something. No, I was just thinking about the pirates going through the canals. But oh, okay. I'm also thinking, what, is, what does he have to do with 
he that's where he tell he, me greg tell me greg please <laughs> i don't know if it was during his whole pier thing or afterwards but he lived at the base of the san gabriel mountains he yeah, lived up there he, and then yeah, bronchitis or whatever bronchitis bronchitis, <laughs> bronchitis and when he came here he's like i want to get rid of my bronchitis kinney was an officer of the american forestry association and the chairman of california's first board of forestry which was established in 1885 kinney along with the activities board and with the help of renowned hobo and national parksman john Muir, who i think mm. is great all these guys were banding together at the same time so i'll go through that for those who don't know john Muir is the forefather of the national parks with his writings that were published in magazines this wilderness man led the california movement for the preservation and supervision of the forest and became mm. a national movement to protect these parks now kinney became interested in san gabriel mountains after he built a ranch home beneath the high san gabriels do you know what that ranch was called it's called the venice canal no it's called uh, kinney loa uh, that does sound familiar kinney loa is said to be a combination of his surname and loa the hawaiian word for mountain kinney loa ranch was sold to an oil company owner in 1928 and was eventually subdivided with kinney's house torn down in the 40s but the area later became like like altadena pasadena area Kiniloa Mesas, I think it's still called. Again, this whole part of the city, like all of you, none of this sounds familiar. I've never heard that's of any of these places. That's what's before. crazy to me. Usually, some stuff else sounds familiar, yeah. but like, have it Kinney had to do with the mountains? Like, it's completely blindsided by it. Anyways, he was interested in the mountain ranges and the forest since he came to California in the 1880s. He studied many different aspects of the landscape and how it was being compromised by the population boom. Unrestrained timbering and clearing, unlimited pasture by sheep and cattle. He also unlimited looked at limited pasture. He was also looking at the effects of fires and floods he knew the importance of trees and bushes for holding rainwater he was looking at how to protect soil overall he saw what the san gabriels needed what yes he was the only one thinking now about if we knock down all these trees the next rain is going to cover the entire Higher. los angeles exactly. mud. yeah exactly <laughs> he was somebody was smart enough to think yeah. about like you know how there's that 10 years drought <laughs> and then we'd have a monster flood that would kill everyone <laughs> how do we make it worse how does uh, look at listen everyone owns stuff i don't own that much yep. landslide covers it all like fleetwood back says and then <laughs> i own whatever's on top yeah, I built on top of that. I, built I paved the landslide. <laughs> Overall, he saw the San Gabriel's needed was, as he said, intelligent supervision of the forest land and brush lands of California with a view to their preservation in such proportion to the other lands of the state as scientific forestry may demonstrate to be necessary to the welfare of the Commonwealth. Basically, there are such positive effects of having this right here that if we start messing around with it and we start selling it and subdividing and knocking it down, that there's going to be negative effects on the outlet. They, they had the foresight to see that. And he had many supporters because many people understood that the story the forest here in Southern California would have an obvious negative effect on the streams and water. That was the most important thing was protecting the watershed. We did a whole water episode, so we know that mm-hmm. we get a lot of natural water from San Gabriel's, from yeah. the high San Gabriel's. So destroying San Gabriel's would have yeah. completely altered that. So in 1891, the Department of Interior appointed Let's a... Let's cover it with lead. <laughs> Can we make this mud out of asbestos instead? Let's plant asbestos trees. So in 1891, the Department of Interior appointed a special agent named B.F. Allen to investigate timbered Best lands... Best friend Allen. Best friend Allen. B.F.F. Allen to investigate... <laughs> timbered lands and watersheds on the Pacific coast. He found in our area that we have a, there was poor watershed conditions and it had random fires, either man-made or not. They were having a tremendous effect on the area. By December, the LA Chamber of Commerce was pushing for the San Gabriel to become preserved and to be made a public domain for the general public as a park, thanks to the work of John Muir. The following year, December 1892, the proclamation to create the San Gabriel Forest Reserve was sent to President Benjamin Harrison. Don't know that man. Benjamin Harrison. Who signed it, which meant it would be preserved and open to the public. The first name that area was given was San Gabriel Timberland Reserve. But in 1907, the word reserve I read was forbidden. I, it was probably just changed. <laughs> so they changed it to San Gabriel Natural Forest. And I can't find out why, but in July of 1908, the following year, it was finally changed to the Angeles National Forest. It wasn't the first national forest. That goes to Yellowstone. But that was declared a national park in 1891, the same year as the San Gabriel. So it wasn't the first, but it was an early but edition. But it's the, it's really forest. confusing, this whole national, because there's like six subdivisions of the National yeah, Parks Department. I kind of was peeking into that, and I kind of gave 
gave up on it because yeah, I was It doesn't tired. make any... It's completely meaningless. Yeah, I... Let's just go home. Let's just forget it. Forget you it. know what? This is meaningless. This is meaningless. We weren't the first one. We were an early edition. But in 1915, Angeles National Forest was the first national forest to require campfire permits. So cool. there. Cool. Cool, man. Cool. <laughs> I like information, too. B.F. Allen, the man who was set out to investigate the forest for preservation, became its first forest supervisor, followed by W.A. Border, Everett Thomas, Rushton Carlton, Theodore Lukens, William Mendelhall, Sim Jarvie, William Dresser, and George Roby. These are all, this is a long line of forest supervisors. They was just written in the book, and I thought I'd write it down, too. Forest supervisor commands the district ranger who gives instructions to lookouts, patrolmen, and guards. Their main concern, I believe, even to this day, is fire safety. They're always on lookouts, on rotation, looking for any signs of fire. I just thought that should be said they're heroes and i wish that i would have been that instead of this <laughs> up to the 1880s everyone used the mountains for either sustenance or economic purposes that includes the bad men but in 1885 during one of the first la booms people started using the mountains for recreation the 1985 no 1885 okay. yeah during the the new wave boom 1885 the pine you know there's no back to the future three right Rolls. i believe it did take place in 1885 but uh is that in your notes did you talk about back to the future three and i talk about jason Voorhees. What, what was our theme this month we always have a secret theme and nobody knows about it yeah. if you say the theme out loud <laughs> our couch starts <laughs> dancing there was a pioneer trailblazer in the San Gabriels, and his name was Benjamin Wilson, who was the owner of Rancho San Pasquale. He also went by name Don Benito, which is what the locals called him. He reworked an old Native American path with the help of his workers who are Mexican or Native American, and they blazed a trail up Little Santa Anita Canyon to the top of the mountain. We know it now as Mount Benny. Kidding, it's Mount Wilson. He built a little cabin along the way while working on trail, and it was called the Halfway House. It was a three-room cabin, stable, blacksmith shop, and a chicken house. In 1889, a visitor named W.H. Pickering of Harvard spent a night up there, either at the Halfway House or atop Mount Wilson. I think atop Mount Wilson, but it, he went with his pal, Mr. Clark, who built telescopes. Hmm. They commented that the atmospheric conditions seemed favorable, and the two men hmm. made a decision that night to return with better <laughs> telescopic equipment. Let's build telescopes for chickens. <laughs> <laughs> See that? They're holding a chicken in place. Look at that. Yeah, like, look at that it looks like, like an egg right look at it yeah good chicken sound oh, oh that, that was pretty good oh my god a chicken just walked <laughs> in here greg didn't make a noise after three months enough of their equipment had been carried to the top of mount wilson that they were able to build the first telescope and dome and by may of that year they were already doing space looking they were later transferred their stuff to peru but just about 10 years later 1903 1904 another guy george hale tested the conditions of the mountain top peru's a very passionate country though <laughs> how do you feel about astronomy so vast <laughs> fascinate um planets <laughs> the stars are so hot and spicy there's another guy after these two pickering and uh clark george hale went up there in 1903-94 and tested the conditions of the mountaintop for astronomy looking and the carnegie institution of washington dc granted him funds to build another telescope and construct an observatory that's the story of the huh. mount wilson observatory interesting thanks to don benito <laughs> here's to you don, don benito. benito because of pals <laughs> like benny wilson don benito people went up to san gabriel's to hike because of the trails he built hunting and fishing were super popular in ranges recreation became so popular that in 1894 pacific electric had a funicular going up mount low mm. and taking people to the echo right. mountain house which we talked about in the red car yellow card yeah. episode mount low scenic railway was created by thaddeus slow and david mcpherson and it was world famous it was a tourist stop for thousands of visitors there was three hotels up there on mount low which were that was 3300 feet up in the san gabriel's how many 3300 one three-day weekend the echo mountain house and the path saw 5,000 visitors which was a 
fun for those days for those days yeah there's only and, three and other I people remember, in the world. <laughs> they, a few of them came twice <laughs> there was also i remember that like there was like a spotlight up there mm-hmm. and you can pay like on your birthday we'll shine the spotlight yeah, on your house so cool. yeah i love that <laughs> and it melts your house yeah. anyways it burned down 1936 fire purifies all <laughs> what's called the great hiking area lasted from 1895 to 1938 and the angeles national forest had a lot to do with that people were coming to because of the land boom were coming right. people like charles loomis and land of sunshine were promoting that john muir had been writing about it, it was now national forest so people were really using this area mm-hmm. and chronologically i feel like it's a good time to mention a weird thing now i am c- close to closing this up so it's 1936 in the east fork of the san gabriel river remember that's where that's the largest concentration of gold was discovered there there's gold up in them fork <laughs> a bridge was built it uh-huh. was meant to serve as a link between san gabriel valley to the south and wrightwood to the north well wouldn't you know it but a dang flood come in 1938 <laughs> and changed the natural landscape and washed away the road which was meant to be the meet God. the bridge imagine well, we finally got the funding we're imagine, halfway done imagine coming out with like a pick and a shovel you're face to face with a new mountain yeah. <laughs> mr san gabriel i got news about this bridge the road was never restored and construction was abandoned due to lack of financial investment because they they didn't want to spend all this money digging up a hill but the bridge remained isolated deep in the san gabriel mountains one side of the bridge is normal it's wide and stuff and the other it just ends at the bottom of this hill and dies off so it's, this was just like a big flood that, or yeah something. yeah it was the flood of 1938 right the yeah. one that uh woody guthrie wrote about i think it's the one that woody guthrie wrote about <laughs> uh, although this was i think in march and that was on new year's day but oh, yeah, i'm wondering yeah. which one it's messed up it's a sequel song it's the let's twist again we this is called the bridge to nowhere and it's become a must-see for hikers willing to hike four hours to get there it might be four hours there and back but i don't know but i showed ada and she's like no <laughs> we're not doing that people also bungee jump off the side of it my friend nikesh did it he bungee jumped off the side of that the bridge is also a 1930s bungee jump to nowhere <laughs> the bridge is also a 1930s bridge so it's dramatic as hell and this is in the, the hills north of azusa if you get curious so you can look up bridge to nowhere it's pretty neat by the way like we were talking about the 1938 flood is the big one it's the one that we talked about several times it was catastrophic overnight trails and camps and cabins in san Gabriel's were wiped out it was the fury of the floods and the fire you like that (laughs) (laughs) it was familiar and you liked it didn't you you liked hearing it to remind you of a thing didn't it yes brought back memory yes yes yes, like limited references (laughs) (laughs) nothing's ever really forgotten there were a lot of floods and there were a whole lot of fires and that truly did away with the great hiking era it was easier to just enjoy the great depression you know than to go hiking which was you know a free thing there's been too many fires to list but just don't can't afford the trail mix there was too many fires to list but just know that the station fire in 2009 happened above La Cañada in the Angeles Forest and that was considered to be one of the worst worst fires ever up till 2018 when we had like Mm -hmm. all of the worst forest fires ever. I'll be talking about that. High five on that. Let me try this again. Yeah, ready? (laughs) (laughs) Immediately EMT are here. Are you okay? We heard a big high five. (laughs) This was a high 10. Everybody who listens to the podcast eardrum explodes. The podcast that I'll have you staring. I gotta go to the hospital. A lot of water is scary but also no water is just as bad. 18 million trees have died in California since the fall of 2017 even as the state. What? Yeah. Because of the, the claim change wow which isn't real oh good <laughs> oh good i didn't have to worry about that even as the state emerged from a years-long drought you know the rain season this year has helped some but we aren't out of the trenches yet like so we're still obviously in trouble the entire angeles national forest continues to be a popular destination for tourists and residents more with tourists than residents we get millions of people coming every year for different kinds of things to go hiking to go camping to dump their bodies recreations of with social media hiking has become way more popular not because of the bonding experience between you and nature but because you get all the best shots <laughs> the bonding experience between you and instagram <laughs> between you and all your friends on instagram you never met this beautiful natural landscape with a rich history is in our backyard and i encourage everyone this 
spring to go out there in the trails and canyons and lakes and see what kind of high strangeness you get yourself into. <laughs> Mothman, Flatwoods Monster, you're going to see a Chupacabra, a Jersey Devil, Bigfoot. Report back to us. You'll see a raccoon riding Chupacabra. <laughs> if you're going, look into something called an adventure pass. It's a, either the camp or to park, probably boat. It's the pass to get in. You can purchase a National Forest Adventure Pass for there's a day one for $5 or an annual $30 one, which is not a bad deal. You can get those at the, in Arcadia, they have the National Forest Headquarters, or you can go to like REI or Big Five, they sell it. And that money goes towards park projects and repairs. Earlier this year, there was a government shutdown, as we all know, which meant that it was open season on punishing the <laughs> national parks, but there was no reports <laughs> of damage really in National National Finally. Park. Finally. <laughs> oh, I've been waiting to hit a Joshua Tree. Joshua Tree got the brunt of most of the attack from idiots. Everyone pooed on it or whatever. They were like chopping down Joshua Tree arms and stuff. They were all on peyote. That's what Joshua Tree it is. It doesn't make you violent. Am I actually? Well, it does make you poo. It does well, make you ayahuasca. poo. Ayahuasca. I like you keep track. Of, you'll never do drugs, but you keep track of what Which drugs make, make you, you poo. poo. <laughs> yeah. So that's been Angela National Forest. Please go out there. So you have to pay to get in, like a, like. A, I think so. You either pay like to get. You either pay to get in, or you pay to like to get out. park and camp and stuff. Okay. Yeah, I was looking into it, but it's very weird online. It's, a little it's research. It's kind of confusing because na- I know national parks you have to pay to get in. Yeah. Although when we were at Rocky Mountain, we're like, well, here we go. We have to pay fifteen dollars. Then we got there and like all the range stations were abandoned oh wow like, well, that's a good sign we get to go in for free blood claw marks <laughs> everywhere there's this guy sleeping on the ground uh, i don't know what they, i think he lost so much blood he went to sleep yeah that's a place i'd like to go how do you get to mount baldy if it is ten thousand feet that's very high yeah it's very high i have no idea how to get there i should look that up i know where it's at do you know the elevation of like big bear or something like that? i don't but it's not nearly as big as that. it isn't because ten thousand is very high yeah it's like a pretty if you because trust me i know this from colorado oh but my god right now we're at like what 300 feet i can't imagine driving from 300 feet to 10,000 feet <laughs> i will google mount baldy and get there and it says the elevation is 4,193 feet not 10,000 like i liar. copy and paste it from the stupid thing you're a liar i'm not a liar i'm misinformed so we're at the halfway point here now yeah so now we're doing our little change up for this episode break things up too much information tmi this is called the tmi break we're gonna do our listener question right now our question this month is from Scott Angle. Hey, guys. Hi, Scott. Hello. Sounds like you want more personal questions for the first segment of the podcast. It's now the middle segment for now. 15 inches. Um, <laughs> so here goes. Should I read all of them? Because he's got several. Should we just do a one by one? Let's read do a them one by all. One. Okay. And then we'll do one by one. What's your astrological sign? If you could be an animal, what kind would it be? Boxers or briefs? What's your favorite neighborhood in LA? Okay. What's your astrological sign? I'm Sagittarius. So really? I'm thoughtful and wise, but a little bit fun. Okay. And pretty dumb too. <laughs> Naive. Wise, dumb, not thoughtful, um, <laughs> not prosperous, poor. I'm Lee. Libra. What's that like? Ooh, What's that been not like? Good. <laughs> not good. Uh, worried. Controlling. Passionate. 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 Yeah, I don't know. Libra is kind of, I don't know, is that the crazy one? It's the balance. Isn't I know it kind that. of monkey? It's a lemur. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I like the Libra Libra. <laughs> so if you could be an animal, what kind would it be? Raccoon. Because you like trash. Yeah, they're really cute, but also when you try to like look at them, they like stand on their legs. Like, oh yeah, you're like, a, you're like a little weirdo. You're a weirdo, huh? What animal would I be? Sloth. Hmm. some but big yes. hippo uh because you're you're a pretty large guy i don't know i like yeah I'm, i've gotten huge since the last episode since everyone <laughs> last saw me stress eating i gained a lot of weight been stress eating hippopotami are you asking what you what i think you are or what, what do i think that you would what want to be what do you think i am what do you think i am and what do you think i would want to be i think like a, like a small chimp like an animal that worries but also <laughs> is a little bit fun because i was kind of thinking maybe an orangutan oh, okay that's a big chimp that worries <laughs> <laughs> and it shows that on its face it that it worries like those big wide cheeks and always looking at its hands you're like dude it's hand. you saw it or I, last time it came you were looking at your hand unless you're a different orangutan I think that's what I would be okay some type of monkey now boxers or briefs I wear boxer briefs 
Really? Yeah. This is gross. Why? Because I don't like thinking about your nethers. So passionate down there. I do boxers, although I've considered boxer briefs. I used to do briefs when I was in like elementary slash yeah, middle school. Because they didn't have boxer briefs at the time. If that was an option, I would have taken it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, and then the humiliation was too great and I had to switch to boxers. Yeah. I don't know why it was so humiliating. Like everyone would make fun of you for wearing boxers like, or briefs. I, yeah, I, I don't know at all. Because I, was, I wouldn't wear nothing else. <laughs> I would show up to school like Captain Underpants. It wasn't my... He was based it, on me. I wasn't a captain though. It wasn't my <laughs> was skin sergeant. Box. Yeah. Boxers were cool when I was like a teenager and then when I wanted to stop seeing myself in boxers I'm like you know there has to be something and boxer briefs are wonderful I've never tried it can I have yours yeah, <laughs> you want to swap I, underwear you want to yeah, swap underwear can we both wear mine at the same time <laughs> may, may I suggest boxer briefs my friend I'm not switching think, my underwear well wardrobe. when you finally grow up I think it'll it, they'll be there for you when you grow up they'll be up. waiting for you at the on the shelf at Marshall's <laughs> trust me they'll be there and now the final question what's your favorite neighborhood in LA I kind of feel like we almost answered this last month with what neighborhood we would want to move into yeah Jonathan Sergey also asked us but let's <laughs> let's answer a different answer this time okay i'm gonna say burbank i'm gonna say torrance huh huh wow look torrance at that is, torrance is interesting i like driving around torrance and cruising around and stuff i like being close that close to the 405 there's a lot of good uh, japanese mm-hmm. places in torrance king's hawaiian restaurants down there it's, i keep thinking about it i don't uh, like their bread you're a sucker and you've always been a sucker and you're gonna die a sucker mm-hmm. and that's just how it is it's just like a cool tiki-ish because it has that that Hawaiian, Hawaiian Japanese yeah. flair to it. Can I recommend a restaurant to people right now? Oh, please. Oh. He's a King's Hawaiian? No, it's another Hawaiian. It's I think it's called a Hawaiian Cafe. It's Queen's in Hawaiian. Little, there, there's a lot. Of, Hawaii. <laughs> what I'm, oh, oh, Maui. Can, I, can I recommend Hawaii to people? <laughs> it's on a little island. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before. <laughs> Hawaiian Cafe in Little Tokyo is really good. It's in a little plaza. Wait, in across. Little Tokyo? Yeah. This has nothing to do with Torrance. No, I'm just, we okay. talked about Hawaiian restaurants. Yeah, you're jumping thought. all over the Let's talk about I Burbank want, for a that's second. That's why I asked if it was okay. Go talk about Burbank. I almost I lived like in Burbank, Burbank when I was a kid. You almost what? I almost lived in Burbank and I was getting in, in a house that had a stable. I was really, really wanted that. I would have uh, been a completely different person. There's a, <laughs> Maybe happy, I don't know. I would have been in the Olympics. Yeah, it's a nice neighborhood. There's, it is. It's quiet. Yeah, you've been going to Geeky Tees a lot, so you're in Burbank more. I find myself in Burbank way more than I ever thought I would. Yeah. And now that I might get AMC A-list, I'll leave <laughs> You hear me, AMC A-list? list give us free subscriptions we'll promote you we'll yeah. promote you yeah but do it before endgame comes out <laughs> if you get me a seats for tomorrow night's show that'd be great <laughs> anyway we're not here to talk about burbank but there are a lot of nice places there are there. Very, yeah if you have a listener question you can email it to us la.meekly at gmail.com or you could send it to us on instagram la underscore meekly any of the social media any places. of our social yeah media. facebook search la meekly twitter la, LA meekly. meekly and while you're there follow us on all those things mm-hmm. uh also subscribe to our stuff. podcast leave a review leave some stars go on your iphone app podcasts look for us stars stars, stars. Baby stars. <laughs> we have a youtube channel all the episodes channel. and some special things on there if you want to uh support our podcast on patreon it really helps us out for five dollars a month we can send you a handwritten postcard, postcard by us donate to us on patreon it really helps us it keeps the show going uh financially it's nice it's nice to have a dream of one day quitting my job it's nice <sighs> now let's get back to our regularly scheduled episode and we're back those money-grubbing financial <laughs> whores are gone Now it's Greg and Daniel. And we're here to teach you stuff. Yeah, we're not about the money. We're about the resources. Mm -hmm. Let's get back into it. There is another place. If you don't want to go to Angeles, maybe there's a place by the sea you might want to visit. Some old dirty sailor can touch my butt. Yeah, so some pirates can come over. (laughs) Take a hike, you say? How about take a history lesson and watch the attitude I say? I'm going to be talking about the easy to type out Santa Monica Mountains National Recreation Area. I'm so sick of writing 
those, what is that? That's six words, six big yeah. words that I had to keep writing out. And they kept abbreviating it in all the stuff of the uh, SMM NRA. Oh, I'm not writing yeah. NRA on anything. <laughs> I don't need that search coming up. When the liberals <laughs> take over, I don't need them to yeah. know that I type NRA. When the liberal police take over. <laughs> Once Bernie Sanders is elected and he comes after my guns. We don't have to pay student loans ever again, but what we do have to do is gun loans for our guns and our trucks. I need my gun to protect myself from your truck. Uh, People hate us and it's fine. I'm going to talk briefly about the whole area in general, the Santa Monica Mountains National Recreation Area, if you, want you to forgot. Understand. I'm going to talk about briefly the whole area. Briefly, we're going to talk- I'm going to give a brief history of everything really quick, but it's going to take a while. Then I'm going to focus in on one park within this greater mega park that had a lot going on over okay. there. So it's kind of confusing because this one area is comprised of many different parks. So it's a park made of parks. Okay. Like the city is made of neighborhoods. The park Exa- is yeah, parks. it is. It's like wild animal Los Angeles. First things first, what is a national recreation area? It's an area of partly protected land that is based around a body of water for water-based activities and also also includes important national and cultural sites. That's the that national was definition. The single worst sentence you've ever said in your life. It's vague even by federal government standards. <laughs> it's it's so dumb. It's such a stupid distinction. But it is. hey, whatever gives this area less money, I guess they'll call that, it whatever <laughs> they want. Ooh, we, only, we can't give you national park money yeah. or national forest money. Yeah. We can give you a national water park money, <laughs> all of the floaties you want, but no actual money. All of the urine that you didn't agree to get in <laughs> yeah. your body. All the urine all from all the other national parks <laughs> shipped out here. So I guess they consider it that because it includes the beaches of Malibu. Okay. But it also has a few lakes up in the mountains. That could, lakes up in the mountains. lakes up in the mountains. I don't know what it's referring to, but the water, in one way or another, is what the focus of this place is, okay. according to Uncle Sam. I'm sorry. I know you don't like to say Can you say the name of it one more time? The Santa Monica Mountains National Recreation Area? National Recreation Area. Yeah, the NRA. <laughs> They're one of only 12 national recreation areas in the country. It's not quite as protected and cherished as a national park, but it's a cut above a city park, even though it contains a few state parks inside of it. But then again, who who doesn't? Don't we all have a state park living in us? Aren't we all just subsidized by the federal government? <laughs> it's a rare thing in that it's run by a joint venture between the federal, state, county, and local governments, wow, which okay. sounds like a nightmare, but it yeah. works somehow. What matters is how massive this whole area is. It covers 153,075 acres that stretches across five zip codes. So two thirds of the area of the NRA is in LA County and the rest is in Ventura County in its entirety, because it has kind of a weird shape that like snakes through other areas that aren't part of it. It stretches from the naval base in Ventura Mm -hmm. to a strip of mountains just above the Hollywood Bowl to the 101, touching the 101. Oh my God, that area that the freeway cuts off? Yeah, yeah. Like that's just kind of like a tentacle sticking through there okay. but yeah that's all part wow. of it that's there's an you can start there and end up at the naval base in ventura while never leaving this the nra the nra wow <laughs> which if you're going to the naval base obviously <laughs> it's the biggest urban national park in the entire world wow like i said the majority of it, the majority the majority the majority the maternity the water the water, <laughs> water, water water okay <laughs> The majority (laughs) of it really, it's above Pacific Palisades. That's where it really starts. Okay. That's where the bulk starts. And then going east to the naval base is, that's the meat of it. Okay. The mountain range is over 50 miles long, runs east to west instead of north to south, which is rare for a mountain range in the United States. It used to stand over 10,000 feet high, just like you thought, just like Mount Baldy. I must have been talking about that. I must have been reading your notes. So it used to be over 10,000 feet high, but much like my grandpa, it's slowly been eroded down to just (laughs) 3,100. 
111 feet. My grandpa's a giant. It's home to over 1,000 plant species, including oak, sycamore, some redwoods that we'll get into, and over 500 types of animals, including lizards, frogs, snakes, turtles, vultures, owls, falcons, eagles, quails, bats, coyotes, bobcats, deer, rabbits, skunk, mountain lions, and of course, boobies. (laughs) Get those boobies out of here. Cover those boobies. Cover those boobies up. What? Were you going to launch into a um, Benny Hill? Oh. You're going to run around the classroom? Boobies was our theme of the month. Oh, no, you said it. Being an urban park, it's also very accessible. There are over 500 miles of trails inside the recreation area. The crown jewel of this being the Backbone Trail. It has 12 trailheads, but you can start at the eastern end at the Will Rogers Trailhead in Pacific Palisades and take it the full 67 miles west to the Ray Miller Trailhead in Point Mugu. Wow. I've, I've never pronounced it Mugu, Point Mugu. No, it must be Mugu. How it's not it spelled? It's not Mr. Mugu. Which came first? Let's have that. Let's have Bruno correct us. <laughs> Point Mugu. Like Mugu. Mugu. M-U-G-U. Mugu. No, I like Mugu. It makes you sound dumber. Mugu Guy Pan. Mugu Guy Park. <laughs> this is not recommended to do in one fell swoop by yeah. the park service because first of all, it's insane. But more importantly, there's nowhere to camp along the trail and you're not supposed to be camping outside of designated campsites. Yeah. There are ranger-led hikes of this trail that you do in sections at a time, two Saturdays a month over four months. <laughs> it goes in elevation. It'll go from 25 feet to the highest 3,111 feet. And you've got to be on a wait list to join this program because a lot really? of people want to do it. The Backbone Trail, it was first proposed in the 1970s. It wasn't completed until 2016. (laughs) It got patched together piece by piece from trails that already existed that they connected because people own land here. So they had to basically as funding and money came in, they were able to connect it more and the city got more and more control over the land. The first piece was the 1944 trail in Will Rogers State Historic Park all the way to more celebrities in 2014 when James Cameron sold his land in the area. And then the final stretch of land that was needed was donated by washed up celebrity bodybuilders Betty Wider and Arnold Schwarzenegger. So they were the missing piece. Wow, really? The recreation area itself came together just jigsaw-like like that. Before yeah. the 1970s, of course, nobody cared about the environment. So all that land was just private property. But the city started getting ideas in the late 50s, early 60s to use the canyons up there as landfills <laughs> and then put golf courses on top of that so that rich people can play and live there. Wow, that's trash piled on top of trash. Ooh. Oh, oh, take snap. that. I'm oh, sorry to all the golf listeners out there. I'm, I'm sorry. So- oh, there goes our sponsorship from the PGA. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Passionate Golf Association. <laughs> Another idea was to put a nuclear power plant up there. All winning idea. It's so funny that mine... Nuclear on top of nuclear. (laughs) My story is about like... It's the history and yours is like, well, they were going to build a golf course, but then they were talked out of it by a nuclear power plant. Yeah, This is up. like so LA compared to mine. <laughs> oh, it gets even more. Oh, LA. I love it. Slowly though, just everyday people who will be completely forgotten by history in 10 years from now started to stand up to the city and urge them to protect the mountains from development. So there was a guy named Marvin Brode who mm-hmm. kept pestering the city to buy parts of the mountains, but the city council wasn't listening to him. And then the idea started floating around that, hey, maybe we should build a freeway through the mountains. But <laughs> people were so anti-freeway at the time, like we learned last month, that he decided, I'm just going to run for office and oppose this. And he won because people were, anyone who was against a freeway was going to be voted for. Then there were people like Sue Nelson and Jill Swift. These are all people who will never get a statue made of them, but they were just regular people who like nature. So they started volunteer organizations to protect the mountains. Mm -hmm. They led hikes to show people how nice it is up here. Wouldn't Uh. it be bad if there was a nuclear power plant? (laughs) They stood up to the government. There was the March on Mulholland in 1971 when 5,000 people protested 
contested the paving of part of Mulholland Drive and they won. So the public opinion was shifting against defiling Tar- the land. Yeah, tarnishing. Yeah. Then in 1972, the Coastal Zone Conservation Act was passed. And then in 1976, the California Coastal Act. Then finally in 1977, a U.S. representative from Woodland Hills named Anthony Bielinson drafted a bill for the creation of a Santa Monica Mountains National Park. So it would have been a national park, like yeah. a full-on Yellowstone Yosemite National Park. This is nice. Yeah. That's what they were going for. Yeah. This is going to be a nice thing. This will be, this is, nice. this is good for us. <laughs> that he made in tandem with Sue Nelson, uh-huh. a name I mentioned 20 seconds ago that you probably already forgot. This bill got absorbed into a bigger bill that was being pushed at the time and the area was downgraded from National Park to Recreation Area. But on November 10th, 1978, it passed in the NRA was created. Since this was a joint effort between so many different agencies, literally everyone had their own idea of what yeah, should be included. That's awful. But in the end, they decided, let's just do everything. Let's put everything everybody wants. Let's just make it. And piece by piece, all those areas were either bought or donated to the many organizations that, that run that this. That worked. <laughs> so the area, it's made up of several parks and areas within the greater park. The largest of these is Topanga State Park, which covers 5% of all of Los Angeles wow. City. But the one I'm going to be focusing on isn't that one, because that one's filled with aliens as we've learned. Nah. I'm going to be talking about Malibu Creek State Park. Okay. That's the one I'm zeroing in on. This particular area is 7,881 acres and is named after Malibu Creek, which runs 14 miles and ends in Malibu Lagoon. It opened as a public park on July 10th, 1976. It's considered to be one of the most beautiful parts of the park, which is why it's sometimes referred to as the Yosemite of Southern California. Wow. There's chaparral pastures. Mm. Pastures. Pastures. There's savanna. <laughs> There's a volcanic swimming hole. Castro Peak is in there, which is the highest peak in the Los Angeles section of the mountains, Uh which is 2,826 feet. The area is a southern Mediterranean biome, which is one of only five in the world. Really? Yeah. You can ride bikes in there. You can rock climb. You can kayak and ride horses, camp, take bird walks with the San Fernando Valley Audubon Society. Uh, The Audubon was going to be built there also. (laughs) But who was here first? Native Americans. Up to this point in LA Meekly lore, we've only really talked about the Keech people that lived in what is now LA. But their border, the Keech border, ended in the Topanga State Park area and from there west, it was Shumash. Yeah. The earliest Shumash settlements in the Santa Monica Mountains were around 8400 BC. And over the years, a lot of small villages formed within what is now the park that we're yeah. talking about. The biggest and most important of these was known as Talapop, which was in the northeast part of what is now Malibu Creek State Park in Liberty Canyon. So okay. that's that's where it was. It only had like 40 people living in it. But as the Shumash always said, location, location, location. <laughs> it was nestled between a ton of natural resources and yeah. also a natural trail that connected it easily to the inland village. It was also strongly tied to another village near the mouth of Malibu Creek that was called Humaliwu, which meant it makes a loud noise all the time over there, referring to the ocean and my neighbors. <laughs> this village was later called Umalibu by the Spanish and oh, is now wow. known as Malibu wow. by the ultra white. Now they're the loud noise over there. Yeah, <laughs> they became the Malibu. That's where the name Malibu came from. So Talapop became basically the cultural center of the southeastern Shumash territories. There are still some holes carved in the rocks around this area that were used as mortar and pestles 5,000 years ago. A lot of trails you can take in the park were actually, those are Shumash trails that were going, they would go from village to village. But of course, the Spanish can't allow that to last very long. (laughs) You guys having a good time? (laughs) Cut it out! They start kicking the (laughs) trails. No! 
This should be a Bible. This should be a Bible. <laughs> this should be a path of Bible. <laughs> Talapop's first contact with the Spanish came in 1542 when Juan Rodriguez Cabrillo came a knocking. And if Juan Rodriguez Cabrillo's a knocking, <laughs> please don't answer the door. Please don't answer the door. As we know, it took a couple hundred years before more white people showed up, which is, as we've discussed, must have been an insane experience for the Shumash. But eventually, Talapop was visited by more and more Spanish explorers who mentioned it in their writings, including possibly Gaspar de Portola. Once it was established, Mission San Fernando kept very close tabs on Talapop between 1797 and 1805 when a lot of residents in the area, here's the word they used, they were recruited to San Fernando Mission. They were drafted. Oh my God. They were free agents. Oh no, your draft card came in. Wow, everyone in the town got drafted. And there's no trails because we replaced them with Bibles. <laughs> Step on the Bibles to get mm-hmm. to the church and, and then you can then po- forgive, and then beg for we'll forgiveness. Beg for forgiveness for just stepping on a Bible. But by now we're in the thick of the Spanish era at this point. In 1801 or 02, Spain gave the land that Talapop was on and the entire surrounding area to a man named Bartolome Miguel Ortega, who is actually an indigenous person from Mexico and his oh. wife was Shumash herself from Santa Rosa Island. So they took as good of care of the Shumash people on what was now their land yeah. as good as they could and they became their sponsors as they called okay. it. But by 1805, all the Shumash of Talapop had been baptized as Christians and were either living at the mission or working on Ortega's ranch, which was Rancho Santa Gertrudis de las Virgenes, which is why the main road over there is Las Virgenes. Oh, duh. Okay. Comes from that. Wow. The virgins. The virgins. <laughs> Driving for the very first time. So Ortega <laughs> Ortega died in 1809 and his family moved to the Pueblo downtown. So the ranch was got abandoned until 1817 when Mission San Fernando said, oh, let's just take it. It's ours now. Yeah. They, I have an idea. The, yeah. Mine. Mine. <laughs> Give uh, me. It became a pasture. <laughs> For their cows, <laughs> the vacas, the most passionate of animals. <laughs> Some people were still living at Talapop as late as 1824, but by that point, the Shumash way of life was over. Yeah. It was Talapop by name only. Yeah, yeah. As we know, when Mexico took over, they Gentrified. were- As we know, when Mexico took over, they were not fans of the missions. So in 1833, the rancho was taken away from San Fernando and given to two men named Domingo Carrillo and Nemesio Dominguez. Then when the United States took over, they were not fans of the people who Mexico had given the land to. So all the land grants had to be reviewed and confirmed by the federal government, which literally took decades. So by the 1850s, while all this was getting decided, yeah. homesteaders started showing up around Malibu Creek, setting up their own farms and ranches and small communities, basically squatting and hoping the government would say, hey, you squatted pretty well. Yeah. This oh, is yours. I like what you squatted here. I like the way I like the squat of your jib. Yeah. <laughs> One such place was the Sepulveda Adobe built in 1863 by Don Pedro Alcantara Sepulveda. He would bring oak firewood and charcoal from his land to the rich people downtown on his wagon along the route that would become the 101. This was a three-day round-trip journey to do this. You have to remember, this was a very secluded... This was like another world. Yeah. It was basically you were living in another country when yeah. you lived in those mountains. People were living in the Sepulveda Adobe as late as 1980, and it got pretty badly damaged by the Northridge earthquake. It had an original mulberry tree that Sepulveda planted there still standing. We'll get into later what happened to that place uh, last year. <laughs> Uh, so this I can whole, predict already. This whole uh, something purifies something. <laughs> so this whole area was just being grabbed and divided up by anyone hardy enough to want to live out there. But in 1896, a large part of this area was assumed by Edward C. and Edward R. Stokes. I'm How assuming they about it. I, they're C. and R. Stokes. <laughs> they decided later in the 1920s, let's start drilling for oil here. And they found nothing. So that on August 26, 1926, they sold it to the next big owner of this area. An oil company. Edward Doheny. <laughs> King Cam. 
Camp Gillette. That's his name. And you know who he is. Remind me. The best a man can sell land to Gillette, as you might have guessed. You're kidding. Gillette of the Gillette Razor Company. He invented the disposable safety razor in 1901 and became one of the richest men in America. But by the 20s, he was ready to retire into obscurity and wanted a place that was like Malibu, but without the fog and like the valley, but without the heat. And this area... Just, Just right. right. The, wow. The razor man came and lived on the land that used to be the native American <laughs> village of Telepoff. He had a massive house designed by Wallace Neff, who had also done pick fair in the Falcon's Lair. Okay. It had 25 rooms, elaborate gardens. It was kind of shaped like a W, okay. complete with an outside barbecue area for parties and a car court. It was finally completed in 1929, and just a few months after Gillette moved in, the depression hit. Oh, and he had to sell off most of his assets, but he managed to keep the house, but he had like nothing else. He had to sell his W and just be a, a V. Yeah. He spent these last few years of his life reminiscing about his old dream of forming a socialist world corporation in Arizona headed by Teddy Roosevelt and building a utopian, completely socialist society in Niagara Falls. That was his dream. The man who <laughs> created the Gillette Razors. Yeah. And everyone will be clean cut. <laughs> Not a single facial hair on anybody. <laughs> but in 19 19- 1932, he died, and three years later, his wife, whose name is Atlanta, sold the house to Clarence Brown, who was the director of Win in Rome and Anna Karenina, who added a small airport on the property for his celebrity friends to fly in and party. Wow. So anybody who was anybody was coming and now partying on what used to be Telepop, formerly the Razor King's yeah. house. This is like what's happening in Echo Park. Third wave gentrification. Yeah, and it gets weirder every first, time. It, exactly. <laughs> it becomes an uglier version of it, uh, less distinguishable from its original self. But by 1952, this party was over and it was sold to the exact opposite of a Hollywood director party man, the Missionary Sons of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, also known as the Claritians because they liked its secluded location and they mm-hmm. called it Claritville. Oh, okay. Well, you know Claritville? Yeah, that sounds familiar. Really? Yeah. Again, these, these are all areas I've never heard of. Claritville sounds I've familiar. heard of Malibu. Once or twice. Unfortunately, the location was so secluded that the students there who did not sign up to be cloistered monks, they would go out on a missionary trip and they would be so enamored with the outside world that they just wouldn't come back. Wow. So less than 7% of their students stuck with the faith. Then in 1968, it became a day camp for children with disabilities called Harmony Center. Then in 1977, it was bought by the Church Universal and Triumphant, which made it their headquarters until 1986 when it was sold to Soka University. Then finally in 2005, it was bought by the park itself and was put to its noblest use yet the filming location of the biggest loser (laughs) i think we know who the biggest loser is here Gillette. I'm so happy you didn't say me. I was waiting for it. I have a blood capsule in my mouth and you were going to say it and I was going to spit up blood and you didn't say it. <laughs> but it is you. Um, <laughs> as of 2010, the Gillette house has been used as a visitor center, but Gillette was just one rich guy who lived in the Malibu Creek Park area. Okay. By 1910, work on roads to get into the area had begun, so it made it more accessible, yeah. accessible enough but exclusive enough to attract the rich of LA who wanted to live outside the city, which was becoming a fashionable thing at yeah. the time. So by the 20s, aside from just Gillette, there were a bunch of permanent homes being built up there for the ultra-rich and gentlemen ranchers who were rich guys who owned ranches that ran them for pleasure and not profit. Oh, I see. Pleasure ranches. Bunny ranches, if you will. The words- Dude ranches. One such of these places was the Mott Adobe, built by... He invented the disposable apple juice. <laughs> no, it's, it's not him. It's not no, him. No, he no, doesn't I'm need joshing. applesauce. He doesn't do it. He Seriously, was- though, he did. He is Mott the Hoopola. <laughs> he was a rich lawyer named Johnny Mott. Just almost Johnny Appleseed, if you think about it. <laughs> Yeah. who used to have Herbert Hoover stay over there a lot. All that's left of it now is the fireplace and a corset Hoover left behind. Fireplace purifies all. The biggest and richest of these big rich places to stay was... Wait, sorry. I'm getting cold. <laughs> 
the biggest greg's putting on his velour jumpsuit oh when i shiver you'll hear it <laughs> the biggest and richest of the big rich places crags country club it's just started in 1900 when a bunch of rich white guys bought 2,000 acres of land there and in 1903 built a 50 foot high dam that formed a seven acre lake that they put a bunch of trout in so they could go and trout fish and then hunt the ducks that would flock to the trout wow an ambush <laughs> and then the people that would come to pet the ducks <laughs> they would hunt them and then the emts that came to take care of the people they got <laughs> and shot. then the angel of death who slew the AMT. <laughs> these are also the guys who planted those redwoods i was talking oh, about they okay. wanted to look nicer yeah but the trips out here were hard in those days so in 1910 they built a three-story bavarian alp style lodge complete with pool tennis court dance floor 10 bedrooms wow. members who stayed here included john griffith mott johnny mm-hmm. mott johnny applesauce uh-huh. William May Garland, who ran the 1932 Olympics. Yeah, I knew that name. Henry O'Melveny. Yeah, O'Melveny, Park. yeah. William Wales Mines of Minesfield that later became LAX. Oh, These were all members oh here. Oh my God, Yeah, really? well, you'll hear about Mines a little bit. Here was the problem, though. Dues to join the club were $1,000, so it was prohibitively expensive to join, and all the members... Describe my face. Describe it. You're nodding and saying, as if to say, chump change. <laughs> you're showing me $1,000 in your pocket right now. <laughs> Here's the thing. It was so expensive, and all the members were well over 50 when the club started. So as the years went on and these people got older, the two-hour journey on unpaved roads all the way out to Malibu Creek, they're, they're not going to... Yeah. I'm a 70-year-old man. I'm not doing that. I take 40 bathroom breaks yeah. every 15 <laughs> minutes and you're going to make me do a trip. You're going to make me get on this carriage? <laughs> so one by one, the members stopped coming and the club died slowly just like they did. Yeah. By 1936, the clubhouse was officially abandoned. William Mines, however, mm-hmm. wouldn't give up on the dream. He continued to come to the area to fish until 1939. He was sitting on top of the dam fishing, fell into the exclusive lake and drowned. Get out. Really? That's what happened to Mines? Wow. He fell into a man-made lake that he built and was probably eaten by trout. Incredible. Yeah. I'm really liking how the farther we go along, we tie up these weird loose ends. (laughs) The ending I never knew I wanted. (laughs) So all that's left of the clubhouse now is the foundation and Herbert Hoover's bustier. That is a callback to a joke yeah, that you I didn't was hear before. Through, yeah. You'll hear it later when you listen to yourself talking again. I'm sure I'm sure it's well-crafted and very funny. A little time jump before we get into the next big thing that the park was known for. In the 50s, there was briefly a professional racetrack in Malibu Ooh. Creek State Park. It was built by an auto racing company who bought part of the land and built a two-mile track that was considered to be one of the hardest in the United States. Really? But that wasn't a good thing. It only held seven races total between August 1956 and April 1957. Why, you ask? Why, I asked. One weekend, they started their scheduled races on Saturday, and a crash happened. Nobody was injured. They said, well, let's keep racing. A guy was going around the first turn, flipped his car, and died. That's the end of the races for today. Then they decided, Sunday's a new day. Let's try racing again. Guy was taking a turn, flew out of his car, and died. Wow. That was the last race this place ever held. (laughs) They lost their insurance and were shut down after seven races. Bold and it's to a try that second day. Yep, Pretty and it's and this place is like romanticized by a lot of people in that yeah. area. Like, oh, the races. <laughs> I bet it's just like a perfect circle. Like racetracks are supposed to be like ovals. I no, bet this was a perfect circle. No, but I think the problem was because it's a mountain. You're like going up. Oh it, yeah, it, it yeah, was yeah, this like yeah. crazy track. It's like the hard levels on Mario Kart. Yeah, the tracks are still mostly there if you want to relive that part of uh, history. But now it's always on, like racing. Now onto what Malibu Creek State Park is best known for worldwide. The movies they filmed oh boy, there. of course. That's why this is the park of LA, the forest of LA, yeah. sorry. The closest the thing. Recreation area of the, the National Recreation, the NRA of LA. Yeah. Because of, of course, the closest things to untarnished nature in LA have to also be strongly affiliated 
with movies. <laughs> One of the main draws of the movie industry to come to LA was the climate and the scenery because yeah. it was so undeveloped and varied. It could be used to double for any location you would ever need. Yeah. A lot of this could be done on the back lots of movie studios, but as movies got more involved and the ante for audiences have to be upped creatively, your end game. Yeah, your, your Gunsmoke and your, uh, your Andy Griffith. <laughs> the end game of its day. <laughs> Productions took to going outside the studios for a more open world, realistic look. Problem was, if they wanted to go on location, they would have to pay union workers extra money if the filming was done more than 35 miles from the studio so they didn't want to go too far luckily los angeles had tons of open space well within 35 miles but the studios also didn't want to share so each of the ones started buying up land in different undeveloped parts of the city and right. turning them into movie ranches where they could film on them whenever they wanted spawn ranch this practice started in the 20s and by 1924 the mulholland highway opened up making access to malibu creek state park much easier so then they started coming there the first movie known to be filmed in malibu creek was in 1919 called Daddy Long Legs starring Mary Pickford. Oh boy, yep. she is got she's her, got her daddy long legs, daddy long legs all over this city. Things were being filmed up there, but in 1927, Paramount decided to relocate their ranch in North Hollywood to there. So they bought 2,700 acres from the former Rancho Las Virgenes to set up a new Paramount movie ranch. They used this land to build huge sets recreating ancient Rome, early American Salem, Imperial China, a full Swiss village. They had these crazy big sets there. Yeah. They filmed Island of Lost Souls, here wow, and really? also it's a gift really yeah that was funny filmed there. Filmed there american classic a movie made up of good scenes a string of good scenes for an hour <laughs> and a half they did a ton of movies there they used to have eight permanent sets on the land and a commissary that was feeding 500 people a day wow so there was a big operation there in 1943 paramount sold the ranch to a guy named esser vilcombe for forty thousand dollars <laughs> but paramount continued to lease the land for filming purposes then in 1953 a guy named william hertz bought part of the ranch and hertz was a big fan of westerns so he decided to buy a bunch of leftover Western sets from the RKO ranch in Encino and yeah. created a full Old West town wow. that is now referred to when people use the phrase Paramount Ranch. Really? That's Paramount That's Ranch? That's Paramount Wow. Ranch. We'll get to that but that was paramount <laughs> it's all just exteriors but it had all the buildings and settings any western production needed which was exactly what hertz was counting on when he built it he was hoping if you build it they'll come renting <laughs> so the studios would come to him and rent it out for filming they did that he was yeah. he was cleaning up it was mainly used for western tv shows so pretty much any of the old west tv shows you've seen were there most gun smokes your lone rangers your andy griffith <laughs> most recently it was the main set for westworld i met a sign painter who did a lot of the signs really? for westworld and mm-hmm. uh, he told he, us like he has free time now work. he has free time <laughs> the western movies used a western set that Paramount actually had elsewhere in the park but the old the fake old ranch it claimed the rights to having been used in both Blast from the Past and Norbit they got those two movies also the music video for Ringo Starr and Buck Owens is Act Naturally nah. the National Park Service bought the land Paramount used to own piece by piece over the years to fold it into the park but the Old West Paramount Ranch actually got on the National Register of Historic Places That's and good. the National Park Service has built it up as a tourist attraction we'll get to what happened to it last year the other major player in Malibu Creek State Park was 20th Century Fox the first movie they filmed there was Brigham Young in 1940 but they liked the area so much their plan was actually to move their entire studio into Malibu Creek State Park and have that as their permanent base. So 20th Century Fox would have been a mountain movie studio, but that was stupid. Like a so Bond the, villain. Yeah, they just ended up buying 2,500 acres in 1946 to use. And this land they bought was bought 
from the Craig's Country Club. So that's the continuation of that. They got uh, Mind's body also. <laughs> Use this as much as you want. Do with this what you will. <laughs> that's why that lake and dam that were left over that he died in from the Country Club are now called Century Dam and Century Lake for 20th Century, Century Fox. Fox. The clubhouse itself, it was torn down by Fox in 1955 because it was getting in too many shots and ruining them. <laughs> Some of the movies filmed in this area by Fox and just anyone in general. Tora, Tora, Tora. Uh-huh. Some of the Tarzan movies. How Green Was My Valley. Viva Zapata. Dr. Ooh. Doolittle. Love Me Tender, Mr. Blanding Ooh. Builds His Dream House, which had Paul R. Williams as the advisor, and the dream house is now really? used as an administrative building. Wow. Pleasantville, Frankenstein, The Great Dictator, Twin Peaks, Roots, the jumping in the river scene from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Really? Pit. The Planet of the Apes village was on the banks of Century Lake. Wow, okay. Yeah, and um, of course... The MASH TV show. (laughs) L.A. Meekly's own MASH TV show reference. Suicide is Painless's own MASH TV show. (laughs) MASH filmed there from 1972 to 83, and they love to promote that. Rumor has it that the cast of MASH buried a time capsule of the show somewhere of the property when they filmed the last episode, so grab your shovel. (laughs) Oh, man, I want Radar's uh, stethoscope. The Fox Ranch was bought by California in 1974 and folded into the park, so since then, the shooting there has been done by permission, but as the years went on, too many movies were were filmed there yeah. and the scenery everyone was recognizing oh I've read, that's Planet of the Apes I recognize this yeah. so they started that and because filming outside of California it was becoming cheaper so yeah. production started to back away from that area the last big movie to film there was Wind Talkers in 2002 oh, I Wind Talkers never forget never Wind forget, Talkers never forget now for the bad stuff 2018 was not a good year for Malibu that was Creek recently that, that was, was last that year was less, that was about one year ago <laughs> to start on June 22nd 2018 a man named Tristan Baudet was camping with with his two oh, and four year, two that. and four year old daughters, when at around four forty a.m., he was shot through the head in his tent while he was sleeping, killed in front of his daughters. The shot came from far away. Nobody knew what happened. After the news of this broke, other people started coming out saying that when they were camping in Malibu Creek State Park, they had also either heard what sounded like gunshot noises or found some of their stuff looking like it had been shot. Yeah. There were a total of 10 of these incidents that dated back to November 3rd, 2016. That was when a guy named James Rogers woke up from camping in Tapia Park. He heard a loud bang and he had shotgun shrapnel all over his arm. Oh. The most recent one had been four days before Bodette was killed when a guy found his Tesla was shot up. None of these incidents had been fatal until Baudette, so the park and police had given very little information out to the public about this, which is why Baudette's wife sued LA and California for $90 million for not letting people know there was a danger out there, but they still didn't know who did it. And there was still a murderer on the loose somewhere in Malibu Creek State Park. Yeah, that was a weird couple months. That was a very weird few months. And it wasn't radar. (laughs) Then in October 2018, there had been a string of burglaries in Mal in the Boo, and in the security footage they had of this guy, they noticed he was always carrying a rifle. I don't... Huh. Huh. I should ask him if he knows any shooters. Have you seen any suspicious activity, (laughs) man with rifle? So they mobilized and searched the park, and eventually they found this guy living out in the wild with his stolen food supplies and his rifle. His name was Anthony Rauda, and when they tested his gun, they found it matched all the previous incidents. It turned out, for the past two years, he had been living in the park stalking campers and hikers with his gun. He claimed to be a survivalist and would sleep outside, break 
into people's homes when you needed supplies, which if you're a survivalist, you shouldn't rely on other people uh, to yeah. provide your supplies. Here's what I'm doing in the apocalypse. Rob houses. I'm going to rob everybody in the apocalypse. He would just pick random targets and shoot at them, for no, which is terrifying. They were called targets of opportunity. Wow. He was found to be connected with a shooting at a woman driving on Thousand Oaks Boulevard in 2010 and was charged with the murder of Beaudet and 10 other counts of attempted murder. There were a couple other incidents in Malibu Creek State Park over the years that aren't believed to be linked to Rauda, which are that are just as scary. Uh-huh. In 2009, a woman named Miltris Richardson got detained at the Lost Hills Police Station for not paying her bill at a restaurant, but she got released a little after oh, midnight. Oh, I heard about You've this. Heard, this is a weird one. This was on my favorite murder. Really? Yeah. yeah. I wanted to cover it. I wanted it. credit. She got released a little bit after midnight and drove home. Wasn't seen again until 2010, but she was just a corpse at that point. Yeah. This case is still unsolved. Then in May 2018, a 52-year-old man was found in a drainage ditch near the big Hindu temple up there, dead of stab wounds to the chest and neck. No explanation as well. Wow. Then shortly after the Rauda incident, the big one that Santa, that the NRA, this was the big one they were waiting for, the Woolsey fire. You, of course, remember coughing remember. for about four months straight. I, yeah, that was a bad one. November 8th, 2018, the fire started near the Santa Susana Field Lab in Simi Valley and quickly spread south, burning almost 100,000 acres. The numbers get kind of confusing because of all the different agencies that control the park, but 53% of the entire land in the Santa Monica Mountains was burned by the fire. It was the most destructive fire the recreation area has ever had to deal with. It burned down the old Sepulveda Adobe, Ronald Reagan's ranch that he used to own up there. He called it Yearling Row. It destroyed three of the major bridges of the Backbone Trail. So after that finally opening after 40 years, it had to shut down again. Most of the mash area was burned. Not radar. <laughs> the Paramount Ranch Western set burned to the ground. To the ground. The only parts that remained were the old train station and the church, which is why I believe the Wolsey fire was just a publicity stunt for the new season of Westworld. There was also- No an- one will say it. No. <laughs> no one has the balls to say it, except also- Al A. Meekly. My name is an Al A. Meekly. Al- Albert Albert Meekly. There was was also an archive up there that had a ton of old documents about the history of the area. Great. All that was lost. Great. They plan to rebuild the ranch with the help of the movie studios by 2021. There was also a book written by a guy named Brian Rooney called Three Magical Miles that seemed like it had a ton of good history for this area that I wanted for research. All available copies got burned in the fire. Wow. Saddest of all, we lost a lot of wild animals, mm-hmm. the orangutans. We lost the mountain lions P74 and P64. Uh, rest in peace. Who Rest in P. Rest in P. <laughs> rest in P22. Who knows how many other animals because that we weren't tracking. Because yeah. e- even if the fire didn't get them, their ecosystems were destroyed. Yes. So the animals were dying slowly for months afterwards. It was the Woolsey fire where they, were, they took photos of all the animals on the beach, right? Yeah. That well, those it. were like the horses and stuff, but yeah, they, yeah, the beach got burned. I don't understand it, I don't, but the beach got burned. We were talking burned. about that for yeah. like a day. Like, how did the beach burn? Like, how did <laughs> sand burn? The fire closed the entire park for a month, but it could take 10 to 20 years for a complete recovery and several years until a lot of the trails are even going to be reopened. They say there's still interesting stuff to see even after the fire. From a distance. Yeah. <laughs> it smells weird <laughs> because new types of plants grow only after fires and some of the oak trees are going to start growing together in clumps because of it. So there'll be like oak trees with eight trunks fused to cool. together like so come for the freak show now yeah <laughs> but this sort of fire isn't good for the area big fires are good once every hundred years yeah now we're getting them up there every 20 years or so and that just promotes the growth of plants known as flashy fuels which are just weeds that are very flammable that causes even more fires right. so on the positive side fires like this do burn away ancient brush and expose more of the ancient history of the place the fire hit 568 known shoe mash sites including six villages 220 
29 of those were in the Santa Monica Mountains. So the Shumash Fire Department from Santa Ynez came to help fight the fire, but also protect their cultural sites and see what artifacts turned up. But my park will go on. They're still going to be holding the Topanga Banjo and Fiddle Festival at Paramount. High five to (laughs) that. One more. (laughs) hopefully they're going to do Scaremount Ranch this Halloween, but I don't know if they're still going to do that. On top of that, I just read this. Representative Adam Schiff and Senators Dianne Feinstein and Kamala Harris have been trying to introduce a bill to add the rim of the valley, which is pretty much all the hills around the valley, to the Santa Monica Mountains NRA, which would add 191,000 acres of land to the park. Either way, I'll only go up in those mountains if I don't have to wake up early and I don't sweat a lot. I'm not going. (laughs) You're going to do both that's the only way to go up in those mountains up in them hills there's a lot of nature out there i normally don't like hiking but the more i'm reading about this like oh i'd like to see a lake yeah <laughs> like to see a lake and not in the book not in those uh those scenes i get from when i shine <laughs> i'd like to see a real life oh lake god you're reading the shining and it's it's, it's upsetting it shows it shows it shows all reading the shining and no play make daniel <laughs> reference the shining a lot i was thinking as i was reading it that i'd like to have gone more into it. if i had free time and not you know all my free time was going towards doing research to have gone inside and seen some of the spots. I, was, I would like to see the yeah. East Fork. I'd like to see Bridge of Nowhere. I'd like right. to see a lot of that stuff that should lay off flats. And- I, I, I'm so upset because I went to the Paramount Ranch on a field trip or something when I was yeah. really young. You had your eyes closed the entire time because yeah, you didn't want, I didn't want to spoil anything. <laughs> I didn't want to see how Gunsmoke ended. Uh, I went there a really long time ago and it was almost one of those things of like, did I? Did that really happen? Yeah. I always wanted to go back and now it's gone. Yeah, that's awful. It sucks. Like yeah. I was, a, it was fun. Like it was, I remember it being really really cool to walk around in an old west town yeah. in the middle of a park it's like not very far but it doesn't suck yeah. oh. <laughs> i almost agreed to that i almost high-fived on that uh, that feels like a low five to me like this fire was just horrible like it, it was almost gunning for santa monica mountains yeah like, I've, I've come I'm coming for you i'm coming baby it destroyed 53 percent of the area like it, it really wiped stuff out they weren't simultaneous but there was like three or four fires that were like the yeah, worst fires yeah, yeah, yeah. that we'd ever seen oh no scratch that this one scratch that this, this one because it was like burbank woolsey the one in paradise and the yeah. one and also you know there was the shooting because that shooting happened like a week before the woolsey yeah. fire which came a month before the guy was killing people in the park like it was that was a bad time that for was, that area it really was yeah and there's also a little town that is in the i guess the recreation area but not we didn't have time to cover it it's called like cornell or something like that and there's all there's like a biker steakhouse like there's like these weird little areas that are kind of cool that's how angela national forest i think like around by the bridge of nowhere i think that there's like a little grizzly cafe restaurant that i'm like i have to go there today grizzly cafe any closing thoughts greg i want to go hiking virtually <laughs> i want to take the google hike that we were talking about no, the backbone trail sounds kind of cool yeah but like i'm not committing two saturdays a month to do that unsupervised hikes is my favorite i want the unsupervised no water yeah and so i forage when, so when i go missing like david Plyce is suggesting that i will nothing will be found of me You'll all that will be left me. will be my crinkly jacket you'll find my jacket uh, rustling in the rustling wind. in the wind well that was our forest episode go out there spring has sprung enjoy nature before enjoy it gets nature. deathly hot to yeah do any of this stuff go before things are on fire yeah yeah so have a nice may mother's mm-hmm. day to all the moms out there listening my mom in particular not your mom because she doesn't know you do this but my mom <laughs> oh. have a good one hags mom and that's been yet another episode of la meekly the most passionate podcast since 2019 2013 let's high five on 2013 okay. ready yeah passion <laughs> 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 that was an interesting squeeze of air we just <laughs> 